Mushrooms. It's episode 13 of the Gaming Memories Podcast, where I, Robocrypt, the blessed beatmaker, your friendly neighborhood prophecy and revelator, the only guy, and it has to be a guy, mind you, you filthy women. Just kidding. I don't really think that the gods told me to say that. Uh, the only guy that can talk to the gods in behalf of you. So if you want to communicate with the great unknown, the, the gods actually know what to do with your life, know how to live your life, basically you got to talk to me because I'm the only one that has all of the answers. And on top of that, I am going to start up a Patreon or Patreon, however you say that. And I want you, he then, to pay me 10% of your income before taxes. Actually, if you really want blessings, what you should do is pay me 10% on how much money you actually want to make. And for my extra faithful subscribers, I'll throw in some holy water that you can sprinkle on your bills and your debt will magically go away. Uh, Episode 13, we have a great guest, Josh Moody. I know this guy because you guys aren't paying enough to the Gaming Gods, the one true gaming podcast. I have to work like a dirty heathen. Anyway, I do a lot of marketing, and Josh is probably the single most influential person. Ah, second, he's up there. One of the most influential people that taught me everything I know about marketing online and how to make money online. And he is a bona fide genius. He is like masterclass at marketing. He gets flown around to speak at marketing conferences. Big fancy awards, big fancy job titles, big fancy everything, essentially. Huge accounts, made huge sales, landed huge clients. Like, the dude is an absolute digital marketing rock star. So if you're interested in any of that stuff, definitely check him out. I will post links to his applicable shit in the podcast description. But Josh also likes to play video games, and he's really smart. So it ended up being a fantastic conversation. I had a great time. I hope you guys have a good time. Make sure to check him out. Again, the link's in the description. And also remember, spread the love, spread the good news of the Gaming Memories Gospel, and you will be blessed because Miyamoto the Father, Kojima the Son, and Carmack the Holy Ghost have revealed to me through revelation on how to make the best and the greatest gaming podcast on planet Earth. And I'm doing that right now by interviewing people like Josh about their favorite gaming memories growing up. Had a fantastic time. I say these things in the name of the Father, Miyamoto, the Son, Kojima, and Carmack, the Holy Ghost. Enjoy the show. Amen, folks. Welcome to the podcast. I will do intros for this later, but how do I, how do I want me to introduce you? Honestly, however you want to, man, you can go as extravagant or as just the raw shit, man. Doesn't matter. All right. Well, here we are with Josh Moody. Welcome to the podcast. Josh Moody is basically, for those of you who know, I do a lot of marketing as my day job. I turn clicks into checks. I sell leads. And Josh is basically my guru that taught me, you and Nils basically taught me most of what I know and my current business partner. The three of you are like the holy trifecta of marketing knowledge in my life. So you know how to do some stuff on the internet is what I heard. That is that is quite the intro. That is good company to be with. So Yeah, I don't know if you're the father, the son, or the Holy Ghost. <laughs> but you're you're definitely one of them. It's, it's one and the same is what They're I hear. The, so. de- well it depends. <laughs> depends on who you ask. It depends on who you ask, I guess. <laughs> Um, but yeah, welcome to the podcast. Josh is in town from Texas. Yep, on a work vacation. Yep, and I s- s- 
stole him away into the podcast studio. <laughs> And hey. we're going to talk about some video games. But uh, the reason you should care about what Josh has to say is he's a smart dude. I appreciate that. I'll do my best to, to make it sound coherent. Yeah. And we'll talk some video games. Talk some video games. Video. So what are you playing right now? Man, right now. Right now it's a lot of, uh, a lot of stupid phone games and a lot of kids oh, games. No. What are you <laughs> playing on the phone? <laughs> Honestly, a lot of... A lot of stupid kid games, man. A lot of that is just keeping my uh, keeping my kids happy. But when it's not that, then it's uh, it's typically GTA Five. <laughs> you still playing Grand Theft Auto Five? I still play GTA Five. It's like it's an escape, you know. Yeah. It's stepping outside of my my problems, my world, and just getting into the land of chaos. Are you doing single player or the online? Mainly, mainly online. Mainly online. Mainly just wreaking havoc. They have made so much money. On the online component of that game. So much. It's insane. Mm-hmm. The last time I checked, it was, I think it was in the b- 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 billions of dollars <laughs> that they have made. And a great gaming memory, actually, I think it's a great way to introduce you. So when I worked at the agency where I met Josh, I worked for a, like the smaller, basically the not as cool team. And then uh, I was doing some stuff on the side. You reached out, asked me a couple questions like, hey, you're doing some lead gen on the side. You're doing some extracurricular studying. I'd like you on my team. And for those who don't know, Josh was basically the team captain of the team that made the most money in the whole company. And I got brought up to his team. And I had the company had this uh, buffer system or this idea, the way they, they do bonuses. And I had never gotten a bonus in like a year and a half, two years. And the first like bonus time came around. And this is how I knew that we were going to be friends and you're going to be a good boss. Is you were like, hey, we could do bonuses, but you have to pay like extra in taxes, I guess, for yeah. bonuses. They take more out. Mm-hmm. So you said, I, we could give you money or we could give you money for a computer. And you can get basically more bang for your buck if you used it to build a computer because you it's like gift tasks or something. It's less than the bonus tax. Totally. I'm like, yeah, let's build a PC. So the whole team got a budget. Mm-hmm. We all nerded out on PC part picker for like weeks. I'm going to get this card. I'm going to get this case. I'm going to get this SSD. And I hadn't built a PC in, in years and years and years. And I think no one had really built a PC in a long no. time. So we, we all get our budget. We end up after like much trials and tribulation, we all decide. I mean, you and I got pretty much the same build. It's, pr- it's exactly. It's I almost mean, this. Yeah, I have the same pre- thing. Almost the exact same builds. We got. I know we got the same case, right? Oh yeah, same same case, same, same graphics Mobo. card. I mean, you you upgraded now, but man, we had the same pretty much everything. Almost the same build. Neil's got like the mini ATX. Yeah, uh, box case. Then I forgot. Foss got like a different case than everybody else. <laughs> he, he wanted a special, like special weird cube. Yeah, but uh, I mean, some people wanted monitors. I think that was Nils's thing. Is he took money off some of the other parts so yes. that he could build monitor, got a monitor, get a monitor or something. But and we all went after hours into the office, and it took us forever <laughs> to build those PCs. Yes, like we started at like I want to say four in the afternoon. Yep. It was like 2 a.m. Yep. And we're all tired and sweaty and frustrated and just running. I don't even remember what problems, but I remember just being like, I want this to be over. I just want my PC to work. Yep. And then somehow we all got them to work. And uh, it's the PC that this was like five, six years ago. I'm Mm. still using that PC. Yes, I've upgraded the graphics card, but that's it. I haven't updated the CPU. I haven't upgraded the RAM. I started out with, that's got 64. 32 or I think it's got 64 gigs of RAM. I went all out from the very beginning. 
But just up, yeah. do you still have the same build, no upgrades? Uh, yeah, I've, I've not upgraded it yet. It still runs everything that I could ever want and more. And I mean, when we when we did that, I think we put in about it was about three grand a pop, wasn't it? It was something like three grand up for parts and for everything. So it was. I mean, it was a. It's a good yeah, build. I want to say like twenty seven hundred, twenty seven hundred, something like that. There was yeah. a little, there was a little bit of money that I think that we threw in there for to cover taxes, so like you didn't get yeah, yeah. blindsided later or something. So I rounded out to something like that. So yeah, it was a lot, uh, a lot in parts. That's how you know have a good boss if he says, "Hey, he or she." Sorry, I'm not sexist. Women can be bosses too. They, <laughs> they uh, if someone asks you, "Do you want money or do you want to build a gangster PC?" You're at the right <laughs> company and you're on the right team. Yeah, and that's how. We, and then as a as a as a team activities, we'd play GTA Five. Right, but see, that was that was part of the ploy. Like that was part of it, right? Because that was easier to get buy off internally. Because people were like, like, what are these people doing? It's like, hey, it's a team activity. Don't worry, it's a team activity. <laughs> like we're all gonna do it. We're all gonna yeah, play together. Yeah. But it's funny because we actually did. Um, and then the one one person on the team just wanted a freaking dope ass Mac, yeah. Mac, right? Um, so yeah, man, it was. Good way to justify, but yeah, we played. We played a lot. We played a we lot. We spent of GTA. a lot of GTA Five, and it's been good times, man. So you're still playing to this day? Oh yeah, man. I still play to this day. I had it for a time there. I had a little bit like squishy graphics card. For some, some wasn't working, but uh, jiggled it's it. And nine eighty Ti is what we got. Yeah, nine eighty Ti. It's still a but, really good card. Yeah, man. It's it's great. I need to upgrade my monitor so I can uh, I can play on. 4k because my monitor i still have 1080p so i mean i could blaze on 1080p all day long so any pretty much any game so all day so but yeah man gta gta that's like that's what takes me back like back to the day i remember back in high school specifically um that's what i cut my teeth on i would listen (laughs) i would come home from school I would turn on Rise Against really loud, <laughs> <laughs> and I would just play GTA. <laughs> that's interesting because that's something that's come up in a couple other podcasts is memories. A lot, oftentimes, you'll connect a game and whatever music you're mm. listening to because our generation, you're born, say, 83, 85? 89. You're, so you're younger than me. Yeah, yeah, a little bit younger. But either way, you still grew up having albums and CDs, no no streaming. So you would end up becoming intimately familiar. Mm -hmm. And I had the same thing where I connect certain games like Final Fantasy X I got for Christmas at Mm -hmm. the same time that I got Incubus Morning View. Mm. And so I played that whole game on mute, Mm -hmm. blasting Incubus Morning View through the whole game. A lot of people have memories like that. Hey, I connect this game to this album and Mm -hmm. I would put those two together. So you were into Rise Against. Yeah, man. So it was... It was always like Rise Against or I mean, all sorts of other music. But the funny thing about it, and this is probably going to make me sound like a terrible human, but I mean, back in those days, you remember LimeWire? Yes. So it was like, whatever you want. Like, you just get on LimeWire, you, you download your, your music for the day or for however long. It doesn't long, make you just, a terrible human. We all did it. We all, I mean, we all did it, right? Before LimeWire, it was the, uh, <laughs> the advent. So first you could burn CDs. Uh-huh. And then then I remember learning, oh, you can burn a burn CD. At first, I didn't think you could do that. <laughs> yeah. So I went from having like, you know, your small CD collection in your case in your car. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I had thousands of CDs because everyone mm-hmm. would just get together. We'd swap CDs. Yep. And I had one of those big six by six cases in the backseat of my little Toyota Tercel, thousands of CDs. Yep. But uh, you still had – I still sometimes miss the magic of like taking a CD in and out mm-hmm. and having that CD yeah, and having the album. I mean, I do like streaming because now I have playlists that are curated, and I never, basically, never listen to music I don't like. Mm-hmm. But I don't know the music I listen to. 
Yeah. I'll put it on a playlist and be like, oh, I like that song. I don't know the song name. I don't know the artist name. Yep. But I know the song. I couldn't totally. tell you who it is. Totally. And that's, yeah. There's so much gratification that comes with that, though. I remember one of my first albums was Weezer's Blue Album. It's and I remember, dude, I remember just the gratification of popping that sucker in your CD player, listening from A to Z, and just every song is good, and you just bliss, you know? Um, but I agree, man. Streaming kind of takes that away a little bit. You a know? little bit. A little bit. You, you, you trade the magic for just unlimited options. Mm. And I, I have play this for every mood. If I want heavy metal prog, I have a playlist and it's all curated. And the great thing about Spotify is the more you add to your playlist, the better the recommendation engine gets. Mm-hmm. And now it's to the point, like I want some new music. I'll just open a playlist, scroll down to the bottom of the playlist. It'll have recommended songs, songs, yep. excuse me. And I'll start to just preview them. I want to say that it's a high percentage for new music for me is like 25 to 30% of the tracks. I'm like, Oh, I think mm-hmm. I should add that to the playlist. Then it just gets better and better and better. The, the flip side of that is I don't know any of the song names. I don't know any of the artist names. But anytime, whatever mood I want, put the playlist on, hit shuffle. It's I'm good to go. So good, man. It is pretty nice. So good. And it's so nice when you find a good, like a good station like that that you've kind of primed and it's like auto-filling that pairs well with a specific game. So I remember like specifically speaking to pairing that with games – um, did you ever play Prince of Persia back oh, in the day? Yeah. Which one? So the old school computer one. So I started on the old school computer one, but specifically the one that I'm thinking of right now is Prince of Persia Two: Warrior Within. So, so Sands of Time, Sands of Time, and then Warrior Within. Yep, yeah, played, yeah. T- played the hell out of Sands of Time. It was great. And then Warrior Within went dark. Right? I don't know if you remember that, but Sands of Time was like a little more powder puff. It was teen. Yes. Like it was broader audience. And then Warrior Within went hard. Like you're cutting people's heads off and doing crazy stuff. So I remember at that time I would listen to Godsmack. <laughs> I, I would listen to specifically I Stand Alone. I, yeah, I dude. Stand alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so like. Yeah. The dock is coming at you. It's like freaking coming, and it's like, yeah. oh, I stand alone. And you're just like, you're like, I could do I, this. <laughs> I forgot about Godsmack. That's like the poor man's disturbed. Yeah, yeah, almost, totally, totally, sort of the same totally. vein. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's just. I actually man. like yeah, and the name Godsmack. <laughs> so it's just in your face, just hits right? Hard. Yeah, yeah, Godsmack. Yeah. Yep. So man, I remember pairing those, and that was a good combo. That was a good combo. You get fired up, just like Rise Against. Great combo for GTA, right? When you're just wreaking havoc. Because GTA is a little, especially, I don't know, I know you grew up LDS. Were your parents okay with GTA or were they not aware? <laughs> of... No. no. <laughs> <laughs> so, funny, okay, so that's funny. A no. but that's That's a hard no. So, what I would what I would do back in the day, I had a lot of like rated E games and a lot of rated T games, and I would cut out the T's or the E's, and I would <laughs> I would slip it on because you remember those cases, right? So you would open like a PlayStation case, wow. and you would bend it back, and the plastic would come out, and then you could slide the the case cover off. So I'd slide that off, and I would glue it on, and I would slip it back in. You'd put Be- fake ratings on your I games. I would put fake ratings, dude. Wow, because when they would look like if they would look at it, they would just be like, oh, rated. T like that's no that's no problem right I mean the internet was just like coming up right yeah, we had dial yeah. up in it but it was hard like and they wouldn't like dig deeper and be like hey this game there was no like parental control or yeah. blogs that talk about that shit so it was like hey this you know this game's rated E for everyone but I mean if you look at the picture you take two seconds it's like it's like a dude with the sword like bloody swords and stuff <laughs> that's crafty <laughs> but, though that's really crafty I wish I would have yeah, thought of that man. because. 
um, my parents, they started getting aware. I've told this a couple times on on the podcast. We'll do a short version. Do you remember a game on Sega called Streets of Rage? Oh, vaguely. Very it's like, vaguely. It's like a beat-em-up, like, uh, did you play Final Fight ever? A little bit. I never had a Sega Genesis. So Did I wasn't, you play the Simpsons familiar. arcade game? Oh, tons. Okay. tons. So it's, it's just kind of side-scroller. You can move up and down. It's a beat-em-up game. Got it. I had the first two, Street of Rage 1 and 2, and those games came out before the ESRB rating system came out. Streets of Rage 3 came out, and I, by that time, the ESRB had come out, and I was still pretty young, and I wanted to rent it, and my I grabbed it to take it. My mom was like oh, – they were already starting to be a little bit more aware because of the rated R movie rule in LDS culture. Totally. And, and they're like, okay, well, what's the equivalent for video games? And then they, they knew about the ESRB. I remember my mom saying, I'm glad that they rolled this out because I've never really known what games you should really get or not. And I wanted to rent Streets of Rage 3, but it was rated teen, and I was like 12. It's 13 above. And she's like, eh, no, 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 no. And I threw a fit, and I was like, I already own the first two games. Mm-hmm. Like, I've already been playing. This is just a sequel. In my mind, that was justification to be able to play the third one. In her mind, like, oh, great. I'll just take those two games away. Oh, crap. It backfired? It backfired. Oh, man. And if I would have been smart enough to pull <laughs> to pour, pull your crafty little trick... <laughs> So did you did you like print, did you have a printer at home? How did you make the fake label? I would cut them off of other games. Oh. So I would like I literally would get like Mario Kart and I would just cut it out and then just throw that in. Cuz like they I would, they would they would see Mario Kart and they wouldn't be like, "I wonder what rating this is." It's like cartoons they and know. stuff. Yeah, they yeah. know, right? Um so I would just clip it out of other games. So that it works. Genius. It works super well. Um you know what's funny about that though is the hardest, the hardest part about the, the whole damn scheme was acquiring the game, right? Because they won't sell it. They won't sell it. If it's an yes. M-rated game, they won't sell it to someone under 18, right? I if think it was 18 or 17. If it's MA. If it's yeah. MA, right? So I remember wanting so badly. We were going on a road trip, right? And I would, like, I would play on my laptop, I got this little laptop, and um, I was probably 16 at the time, 15 or 16, and I wanted to play Fable so bad. Do you ever play Fable? Was that MA or Teen? So it, w- it was MA back in the day, for That's sure. That's crazy that was MA. 100%. That's true, because you could like flirt with people and sleep with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 100% it was MA, because I remember, because I couldn't buy it. I tried to buy it. And uh, I remember I went to like Walmart or like some game store, um, and they were like, they were like, yeah, like, can I see ID? Obviously, they know that I'm they not know. old enough. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and they're like, no, you can't buy this. And I was like so defeated. So I remember the day before this trip, this big, big road trip, right? The day before, I was like, I was desperate. And so I walked down to my friend's house who was two years older than me. And he could buy it. Oh, and I knew he could buy it. Yeah. But he had just barely turned. And so I was like, hey. I go in and knock on his door. And I was like, hey, man. <laughs> I know this is short notice. Can you drive me down to, I swear it was Walmart at the time. I was like, can you drive me down and can you buy a game for me? Like shameful. But he was just, he was so cool. He was like, yep, let's do it, man. So he went and bought me Fable. I did the whole crafty trick. Um, It worked out great. Played Fable the entire road trip, man. It was, it was incredible. Nice. Hey, let's, uh, I'm going to move this so you don't kick it. Audio, audio fix. Take a drink. That way we're not kicking it and getting the sound. Um, and your parents, I guess they weren't paying. Fable's, Fable doesn't look 
too offensive if you just kind of look over and see because it has a, a little bit of a cartoony aesthetic. Yeah, totally. even though I so that game, I don't know. If, I don't know. It sounds like you're excited for that game. How much of the the pregame hype you bought into? All of it. A lot. So all of it. Do you remember uh, when Peter Monulux? I don't know how to say. Sorry, Peter. I don't know how to say your last name. The head guy at Lionhead Studios that developed Fable. He is notorious for sort of over promising and under delivering. Okay. Like really, really excited. And I remember when they were developing Fable, it was like this is going to be a true open world where you can do anything. And one of the examples was if you plant a seed anywhere when you're the child. Later mm-hmm. in the game, when you're adult, that seed will be a tree, and it'll all be connected. All your choices that you yep. make as a child, and that kind of played true, but not in the way that at least all, all, the way that everyone thought it was going to be. It was like mm-hmm. No Man's Sky fiasco before No Man's Sky. Yep, totally. And, so I loved that game when it came out, but it wasn't quite as open world as I thought. Mm-hmm. However, I did like to mess around with you could kill anybody. You could flirt with anybody. So I wanted to – I mentioned this on the past podcast. This may make me sound like a psychopath. But I wanted to see <sighs> where the game would break. Mm. So I remember going into one of the like villages mid-game. I was powerful enough to kill the guards. And I killed everyone in the village. Like just desecrated the village. And I wanted to see if they'd come back. Uh-huh. And they didn't come back. Like I went and saved the game. And they didn't come back. I'm like, okay. But there was no – it doesn't let you kill any NPCs that would like – hamper the story right right but you can kill kill everybody else yeah and then i'm like okay but i wonder if they'll remember so i went to uh if the if the player or the npcs that aren't crucial that if i kill everybody will they remember i'm the one that killed everybody if i like go play another mission reset the game and come back and so i went to another (laughs) village i massacred everyone and i killed this woman's family and then I went, did a couple of missions, and I came back. And she was like the last one in the village, like this lone person in the village. Okay. Then I flirted with her and got her to marry me. And she did not remember that I was the one oh, that killed snap. her family. So it's like you could see where the game started to break down. It didn't yeah, actually yeah, yeah. make sense. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought it was cool that you could play around with a game like that. It was the first game I remember really like being able to met. I mean, Grand Theft Auto had come out. But uh, was Grand Theft Auto 3 before Fable? I think it was. It, it had to have it been. It had to have been. had to have been. So Grand Theft Auto 3 was a PS2 game. Fable was Xbox. Xbox came out after PS... Yeah. They were close, though. They, they would have been close. Because for, Grand Theft Auto 3 sure. was not a launch PS2 game. I think PS2 had been out for a few years. Totally. Because I, I got it with the Slim. The PS2 Slim. The Slim. Which was later. Later, yeah, yeah. Right? It wasn't as, as bulky or bricky. But... Man, that game, Fable, is so good. And I remember the – did you ever use a bow on that? Yes. I mean, man, that – for some reason, it was so smooth and you could just get hit. Were you playing on a trackpad? No, so I'd have a mouse. Man, I had a whole getup. I had my laptop and then I had like a mouse pad right here. On your leg? <laughs> on my <laughs> on leg or trip. on the seat. And then I just like had this. I had like a million cords. Man, Plugged was... into the AC adapter in the car. Well, I had to wow. get it. I had to get an inverter. Plug it into the inverter. Plug that into the. So the you had AC consoles adapter. and a PC. You were PC gaming as well early on. A little bit. So my computer was kind of like it was kind of shit. So I had to like scale down hard because it was just a laptop from back yeah. in the day. Um, so I had to scale things down pretty hard. Uh, but the majority of gaming happened on consoles. Nice. So, what's the very first video game you ever remember seeing? Man, the very, very first. So this, I'm not going to remember the name, 
but I can't, man, I remember the emotion. I remember the game. It was this really, really early baseball game on NES. Like that was the very Ooh, first game. There's a couple ba- baseball games just coming to mind on NES. Uh, something. Anyway, we won't, we won't spend time. I think I know what you're talking about. There was definitely one baseball game that most people remember. I want to say it's like something all-stars. Yeah. Or yeah. Oh, was it RBI? There was I can't RBI remember, dude. as well. I can't. I was so young, though. I like. I would have not, not known. Was it your console, or did you see it at a friend's house? My, or it was my dad. So my dad bought one, and we played that, and those were like good memories. And then we also had um, Super Mario Brothers. Those were those were the formative games, like Super Mario Brothers three. Yes, that's Best a big game. one for a lot of people. Best game ever made. It was so good. Um, at least for growing up and just like being raised on that. So good. So your dad was kind of into gaming. So kind of like he wasn't really into gaming, but he, he really liked sports. And so I think that was the way to be like, Hey, well maybe this is a cool thing. Right. I mean, they grew up playing like not grew up, but like they, they played a lot of pong and miss Pac-Man. Mm. And so they were like, Oh yeah, this is a cool thing. We should, we should get this thing. Um, so those were the first games. But then what happened was, my love for playing games outpaced theirs, yes, obviously. And so I remember pretty soon after, um, I had some pretty good friends that played a lot of games. And so I'd always go over to their house and play games. Um, but I remember specifically, um, do you remember? So Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong Country came out, but that was for Super Nintendo. Yes. But, but there was a Donkey Kong game on NES. Yes. Right? And so I remember playing Donkey Kong at friends' house, like at friends' houses, and then I would come home and I'd be like, "Mom and Dad, I want to play Donkey Kong. Like, I want to get Donkey Kong." And so we would like we would go down to the video store, um, and we we try to rent it. And they're like, "Oh, I just have this Donkey Kong." And I was just like, "Nope, that's not it. I'm not playing this shit." Like, that's, but it was the actual, but it was the original Donkey Kong oh, throwing barrels. So you you had I never you had, had seen a super country. And yep. you went and got the old school the version, old and school you were one. not impressed. I was like, bro, I was like, this is this is not Donkey Kong. Yeah, this is some weird like. So you had a few memories from NES, but the first game that really stands out to you is Donkey Kong Country on Super Nintendo. Probably one of the biggest for sure. Yeah. Donkey Kong Country on Super Nintendo was man, I played that so much, all day, all day, every day. That's a big one. A lot of people have brought it up, but I always say this, but I think it's it's noteworthy to say is that the graphics technology for that game was super cutting edge. Mm-hmm. They, uh, long story short, Silicon Knights are rare, um, kind of one and the same back in the day. It was one of the first games, if not the first game, at least on consoles. They would take three D. They would use three D renderings machines for movies. Mm-hmm. They would do three D renders. They would convert them into two D sprites. Mm-hmm. Take the colors down because they only were allowed like eight to sixteen colors mm-hmm. on Super Nintendo, and that's why it had that look because it wasn't traditional sprite animation where someone was going through and animating each frame. Uh-huh. They were basically doing three D animation, running the animation, recording it as a two D frame. Taking taking the sixty frames or thirty frames a second down mm. to like twelve frames a second, mm-hmm. lowering the colors and then importing those as the sprites, mm-hmm. and that's why everything had that hyper realistic look for Super Nintendo. Mm. Um, they had done similar things on consoles like digitized, like Mortal Kombat was mm-hmm. di- was what they called digitized graphics, basically just taking pictures or videos of actual actors mm-hmm. and then turning those into your sprite animations, and then you had traditional sprite animation, which would be like Mario. Where someone just okay. hand animated that, and Donkey Kong Country was the first one on that I remember coming out, and that like 
PS1 had already come out or was almost coming. I think it had come out, but it was it was this thing where like Super Nintendo's old, but it came out with this game that has better graphics than some of the PS1 games that are 2D because of this graphics technology. And that really put Rare or RAR on the map. Later, they went on to do you know, GoldenEye and Perfect Dark, and they became Banjo-Kazooie, yada, 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 yada. That game, that graphics technology was uh, – Vector Man used it on the uh, – I don't know if you remember that, on the Sega Genesis. Uh-huh, that was totally. like That was like the Genesis answer to Donkey Kong Country, which never became as big. Yeah. But Donkey Kong Country is a huge game. I never had a SNES, but I had a friend that had it. And I remember – what I loved about that game was the overworld – Yes. And the secrets. Yes. As you would like get better things on levels than like maybe a door with something would open or you'd get this hovercraft and now you can go and then you would find new secret levels and the connection because Super Mario World 3 had an overworld as well, mm-hmm. but you had set paths. You could just like where Donkey Kong Country, at least two and three, you could actually walk around mm. and it was more free moving overworld. And I, I something about like finding the secrets of the overworld motivated mm. you to get the highest scores and do everything in the levels. Yes. And that, I think, for me, was what the magic of the game. We would sit and play for hours like, okay, how do we get behind that waterfall? There was no internet. Yes. Right? So you're calling your friends asking, oh, you got to get this certain item in, in this level. You have to get all the letters on this level, get yep. enough bananas. Then you got to take this item to the old man donkey, and then he gives you this item. Then you add that to your hovercraft, then you can jump over the waterfall, and there's a whole extra 10 levels over there or something along the lines of that. Totally. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You, you bring up there's no internet, so you can't check that out, right? Yeah. So I remember – do you remember old Nintendo Power magazines? Yes. So I like we never like I never had Nintendo Power or never had subscriptions, but this is this is the weirdest thing. But like I remember when we would go like every once in a while we would take like loads of like garbage to the dump right out in rural Payson right, and I remember one time we did we went there and I found a box a box of Nintendo a Power box. dude you a found box. a treasure trove of Nintendo Powers yeah dude I was scrappy as hell and I took them <laughs> and I was like I'm taking these of course you did you're already swapping out ratings on games <laughs> you are super crafty so dude I remember that being because that was your that was your internet that was your cheat sheet right yeah. to find that stuff and I remember then like fast forward a little bit a little bit in the to the future not super far. We were at some bookstore, and I remember seeing a a game guide for Donkey Kong Country 2, Diddy's Conquest. And um, I remember, so I bought that. I still have that to this day of, like, all the secrets, where yeah. they are with images, and it shows you all the behind the scenes, exactly like what you're talking about. And that was, like, that was like the cheater's way to figure it out, right? Yeah. But, man, good uh Is there anything else on NES that stands out to you that you remember – Let's see, NES, man, I played, so a lot of Mario, like Mario 1, like the original Mario, a lot of Mario Brothers 3, um, and I think, oh, Kirby, tons of Kirby. There was a Kirby on regular NES? The original Kirby. I must have missed that. The original Kirby was on NES, and that game was incredible. It was super hard. Once you get to the very end stages, I've never beat it. I get to the very last part where there's this this mage that you're fighting, um, but I can never beat it. So I, to this day, I have un, uh, <laughs> I can't let that go. Unfulfilled. Unfulfilled. <laughs> I've never beat Kirby. The I didn't original. have that with Kirby, but I had that with Castlevania. I could always mm. get to death on Castle. My brother was the same way. I could get to death, but I couldn't beat death okay. and get to Dracula. Yeah. And the, 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 yeah, man, we've talked, those games were so hard because 
when you die, you die. You start all <laughs> the way yep. over again. And there's a magic to that because you become so intimately familiar with the game. Yes. I mean, like some of those games, like the beginning of Castlevania, I can blast through the first, probably to this day if I picked it up. Uh-huh. It would take me a couple minutes. All that, all that muscle memory would come back and I could probably blast through the first three or four levels because I played those hundreds of times. Yeah. And then it wasn't until the later levels where I, things were started getting difficult. Totally. And I could see that. With, I did play Kirby on the Game Boy. I don't know. It must have been after the original. I didn't know there was a Kirby on the original NES. Dude, it's good. Well, it's funny. So you, I mean, you asked what was the most recent game that I've played. And actually, now I'm thinking about it. It actually is at like emulated games. Okay. From back when. Because I, I recently just played Donkey Kong Country again back through as an adult. How was a different experience? On an emulator? On an emulator. Using ZNES? Uh, yes, I believe That's so. The, I think one of the, I believe yeah, the so. best ones. And then what I did is, so I ordered, I got on Amazon and ordered two different um, SNES controllers. And then I ordered a GameCube controller that is USB. And so you can plug in and you can play. It feels, you can plug a s- controller into your PC? Yeah. Well, so these are these are made. So it's oh, it's not an actual. It's, not it's an made actual. to look like it, but yeah. works so for like, PC. It yeah, feel yeah. like the form and, yes, and function yeah, yeah, yeah. is exactly the same, and then you can, you map it exactly the same via your emulator. But then you just plug in your USB, nice. and you just play, and it feels the exact same. Obviously, is the exact same, right? Um, but yeah, we just went through Donkey Kong Country again, but then also started playing the old school Kirby and some of those again, um, and then playing a lot of N sixty four. That was the next big one. Um, when you um, when you so you had you went Nintendo, Super Nintendo sixty four. So you were just Nintendo so straight through basically. This this is the inflection point. So I never had a Super or a, a Nintendo sixty four. I had an NES and I had an SNES, but I never had a Nintendo sixty four. My friend did. And so mm. I would always go to his house to play that, but then I got a PlayStation. <gasps> so I had the PlayStation. That's my love. I had the PlayStation One. Oh which, yes, yes. That's that's what that's what opened up the world of gaming. So that's when you. I'm the same way as I. I had a Genesis mm-hmm. growing uh, Nintendo growing up. My brother, my, my brothers played it more, and I have some memories similar with Nintendo. I'm a little bit older than you. Uh, handful of games but i was i was too young to have enough money to go rent my own games yeah. so i was basically at the mercy of whatever the family got that's what i could play yep. a lot of them were too hard like zelda was way too hard for me at six years old to figure out mm-hmm. but mario 3 was like digestible mario 2 actually i spent a lot of time because you could pick different characters and they had different and i remember they like the you know the all the bosses were dudes that shoot eggs at you and you yep. had to jump on the eggs and pick them up and throw them back at them mario 2 is this weird Weird, it's, like offshoot Mario. Some most people hate it. It was weird. I liked it though. Yeah, I liked how floaty Luigi was, where the princess could like hover and you could go indoors, like open doors and go into different rooms. Something, a lot yeah. of elements to Mario Two that have never made it back into any other Mario game. Similar to Zelda Two, had was side scroller and top down, and they, like they kind of experimented. They okay. never did that again with the Zelda game. Yeah. Anyway, but then I had a uh, Genesis instead of SNES. And then I had PS1. And it wasn't till PS1, that's when I was a teenager. I started working at like 12 years old in the summers. Uh, I got a job doing like 
digging fences, building fences, doing sprinkler systems. Mm-hmm. Basically, guys who didn't want to pay people full wage. They would uh, <laughs> a friend of a friend's dad. He would pick us up in the morning, have us do manual labor all day, buy us lunch, take us home. He'd pay me a hundred bucks at the end of the week. Okay, and I was working like sixty. 50, 60 hours, depending. Um, I, I was I was at least gone sixty hours. It wasn't sometimes we take breaks and go get lunch. Sure, but for me, a hundred dollars at eleven, twelve years old was a that's one game every yeah. week. Yep, I could I had no other expenses, and so the PS one for me is like okay, I could get a ride to Blockbuster, I could get a ride to Walmart, go buy a game, and that's when I really started gaming. So the fact that I haven't really had anyone on yet that PS one. Most people didn't have it. So really? for me, PS1 is like the glory days. Man, let's talk PS1. Did you get – okay, did you ever get discs in the mail, like promo discs? Yeah, demo discs. Demo discs. Oh, yes. You remember that? You remember – oh, man, this is taking me back. Do you remember Pizza Hut? Did yes. Demo discs. They had demo discs. Yeah, you remember that crap? I do remember – the Pizza Hut one, I remember not PS1, but Chex Mix had its own game – the checks, checks quest checks quest oh my yes. hell dude i played checks quest <laughs> so much yeah checks quest was it was like a doom clone okay so get this imagine current day companies doing that level marketing that would be awesome creating checks quest having demo discs with their pizza like they knew what was up <laughs> yeah they knew what was that's up. true i had kind of forgot about it so you brought it up but yeah pizza Hut demo discs the demo disc i got for ps1 well, when PS1 early launch, I think I got it like a year after launch. I can't remember. My parents got it for Christmas, and it came with a demo disc. I had two games, like WWE Raw. Like It was like a 2D wrestling game. Yeah. And then I had a demo disc. And uh-huh. the demo disc had – I don't know if you had this demo disc, but it had a demo where it was just a whale floating in the ocean, and you could move the camera around. That was the whole demo. No. And then it had like little, like one level from a bunch of different games. Okay. But then Pizza Hut, and there was another company that they came out with other demo discs with more modern demos. And every, it was almost like every year there'd be a new PlayStation demo disc, and you yeah. could get it at a bunch of different places. And I'm pretty sure Pizza Hut was one of them. Because I do remember, I do remember at, like, Asking my mom, like, we need to go to Pizza Hut to get a pizza because I want that disc. <laughs> Ulterior motive. Yeah. We need pizza, uh, mom. We, we never got Pizza Hut. It wasn't <laughs> our place to get pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they got our business for that one time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Those demo discs, man, they changed the game. Um, so I can't remember what games were on the, the Pizza Hut ones. Can you remember which like, games or demos were on those? So I get them I get a little mixed up. The original demo discs, I think I had the first one, had Jumping Flash it had the whale demo. It had Battlerina Toshiden um, and a couple other. Then there was another demo disc that came out that I think was the Pizza Hut one much later. But it had a, a demo for Tony Hawk. That's the one I remember. Okay. It had the warehouse level, the first level yes. of Tony Hawk. Yes, it played Superman by Goldfinger. Yes. Remember that song? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tony Hawk was the first game I remember that had licensed music. Yeah. That was a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Def- oh, man. Every kid that played Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 knows every song yes. by heart. That's what introduced me to Rage Against the Machine was Tony Hawk. Really? Yeah. Nice. Man, I, so I don't remember necessarily what games were on the Pizza Hut demo discs, but I remember one day I came home from school 
and there was a demo disc sitting there and I'm going to botch this name because I've never learned how to say it, but it's Legend of, I, I always call it Legend of Lega, but it's L-E-G-A-I-A. Oh, Legend of Gaia? Legaia? Yeah, yeah, so I'm RPG. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, did you ever play that game? Yes. That Any was... JRPG on PS1 I've played. Okay, so I found, talking to people, I found people have either, they either initially went down that path for their first like real RPG or they went down the Final Fantasy Final path, Fantasy, yeah, yeah. Right? And I feel like most people went down the, the Final, Final Fantasy. Fantasy. Definitely. More I common. went down the other path. So you played Lagaya first. That was the first RPG that I ever played and it sucked me in so hard. And I remember you play that first, kind of that first world that Vaughn, the, the main character is in, right? And you beat the, the Suru and you get rid of them yes. and you revive the Genesis tree and yes. then you get that first power in your gauntlet, right? Yes. That first power is that weird, like, firebird. Yes. Right? It didn't really look like a bird, but that weird, like, firebird. And then from there, it just opened up. And that, like, you know, talking about open world games, that's really what blew open my mind. Because once you leave that city, it goes to that overview world, right? You, you go, go to the world anywhere. map. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can go anywhere. And it's like, oh, you want to go... All the way to the, like, skip a couple cities, you're going to get your butt kicked, but yes. go for it. But go for it. Try. Yep. Did you did you not play any of the RPGs on Super Nintendo? Too young? No. Yeah, not really. Not really. I mean, I have now, like, gone yes. back and played, like, Super Mario. Um, RPG. RPG, yeah. And uh, Le- Legend way. of the Seven Stars or whatever. Yeah, um, I'm the same way. Like, I... A friend had an SNES. I'd seen some RPGs. I had seen Final Fantasy One at a friend's house. I'd seen Final Fantasy Three or Six if you're the Japanese version. Hmm. But uh, it wasn't until I got the PS One. I I knew I thought RPGs were cool. It wasn't Lagaya. There's another game on PS One. Um, when I got I got the PS One really really early because my parents were awesome and it was like 500 bucks like launch it was super expensive <laughs> and I begged and I begged wow. and I got it like within the first year of it launching. Yeah and. Um, the the first JRPG that came out on PlayStation One, I'm pretty sure, like 99% sure, it was the very first one. Was called uh, Beyond the Beyond. Do you remember that game? I've never heard of it. So, yeah. Anyway, so that I got that as soon as it came out, and I wanted to get into JRPGs. I played Beyond the Beyond, and then eventually, they uh, you could get like a Super Nintendo for like 30 bucks. Like, they okay. were really cheap. Uh-huh. I bought a Super Nintendo and went back and played, like, Chrono Trigger, all the oh, classics, right? Yes, All the yes. classics. And then they released Chrono Trigger with Final Fantasy Anthology on the PS1. Okay. Um, and then I played through it again. But I'm similar. I didn't play Lagaya. I got way, like, JRPGs, it was, like, cut my... That's, what, that's when I went from, like, I like playing games to mm-hmm. I'm a gamer. I got mm-hmm. way into JRPGs. And uh, it was Beyond the Beyond was the first one. And then... I think I played the Final Fantasies. Lagaya was – I always considered – that's interesting that was your first one because Legend of Lagaya is like a like a deep cut. It's really not that – it's totally. kind of not that popular. I So you are honestly the first person I've ever had a conversation about Lagaya with. And I swear this happened at like at work one probably, day. It probably We, we mentioned it and I was like, whoa, yeah. you're the only other person because no one else knew it. And I remember – so I was – I was so into it. That, like for Halloween, I wanted to be Vaughn. My mom made me this like little gauntlet. She made me this weird vest. <laughs> oh, you went full I on. Went, dude, I had the – she made my hair like – The blue sp- spike. Yeah, yeah, the blue spike. Everything, right? Um, and kids were like, what 
Who's this the, kid? Yeah, who what's the he doing? Fuck is this guy? <laughs> what, what is he doing? I'm like, I'm Bond. And he's like, they're like, yeah, he's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, man, that game, that game opened it up. But then that friend that I was telling you about that bought Fable for me. Um, he, like I said, he was a couple years older, so he had like a little bit more like knowledge of all these other games. He had an older brother that brought games into the house too, and he introduced me to Final Fantasy, like just Final Fantasy in total. Was it seven the first one you played? No, and that's the other thing that I was backwards on. It was eight. You're the second person that's been on that said they played eight first. Yeah. And what's interesting is I don't know. I'm going to try to predict. Actually, the third person. I'm the third person. Audio Treats, who was episode three, was the same way. Um, um, when you play eight first, going back to seven is kind of shitty. It was super. The graphics were super yes, shitty. And yes, then, And then the scenes, the cutscenes sucked compared to the cutscenes on eight. Yes. But yeah, it was. It felt. It felt shitty. So your first Final Fantasy was eight. First Final Fantasy was eight. And I got really into, like, I loved it with the gun blade. I thought that yeah. was the coolest weapon ever. I liked how the, the fight system was interactive. And so you would fight, but yet you would push, like, R1. To get the, to the get extra the, hit with yeah, the gun get blade. Yeah, the extra yes. hit with the gun blade. Yeah. And just all of that. I just, it was so immersive, right? And I don't know if you remember that. In that game, once you get far enough where you're starting to do kind of more the the overworld stuff, Remember when the garden that you're in is turns in peril into, and it turns into the ship? Yes. And then you're able to take that around um, and then it just it gets cooler from there. Yeah. I, I think 8 gets a lot of shit from a lot of people. Obviously, I've made this example before. Uh, I, I like Nirvana as a band. Yes. I don't think okay. they're the best grunge band. Okay. I think Alice in Chains is better than Nirvana. Okay. But – and some other grunge artists, Pearl Jam, whatever. But Nirvana yeah. – Brought grunge to the masses. Totally. And that's, and I, that's why they're legendary, and I think they deserve to be legendary for that. Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy VII brought JRPGs to a whole new audience of people that previously weren't into JRPGs. Totally. And for that, it's legendary. But out of, out of the Final Fantasies on PS1 and the Final Fantasies as a whole, I, I think it's a little overrated. Sure. I, and I think, I think eight is better. Now, I played him in order. I got seven first, then eight. Um, but I liked eight more for a couple reasons. One, I liked that the characters on the world map on the pre-rendered screens were the same characters in battle. One thing mm-hmm. I hated about seven was when you're in the world map, you're like these blocky, chibi, yes. stupid-looking assholes. <laughs> then when you get in the battle, your cloud looks awesome. You look great. He looks bad. Yeah. Like, and then on eight, it was it was the and their proportions were more realistic. Yeah, and you could actually see your other that your two other party members would follow you around you yep. actually they wouldn't just like appear out of your body then disappear back into your body yeah I, I liked that the cut obviously the cgi and the cut scenes the opening cut scene for eight the opening movie with seifer and squall battling and he slices him and cuts his gives him the gives scar, him scar yeah. and he does the magic attack uh it was mind-blowing and then those so good what do they say it's like in latin oh, the choir yeah. singing in latin yeah the waves coming on the beach Damn. And yeah, and then I thought the idea of like you have all these different gardens that are like their own countries with their own armies. Yep. And then um, I really, really, really liked – the first time I didn't like it, but later as I understood the junctioning system, which a lot of people hate. Uh-huh. Yes, it's grind. You have to draw these spells from people. But the ability to come – like you have all these different spell combinations attached to all your different stats. Yep. And for me as a young kid, I thought that was cool. Like, oh – I get more of a stat boost if I take 
like a cure spell mm-hmm. and I junction it to my HP stat, I'm going to get more of a boost than if I junction it to my strength stat. Totally. Because that makes sense. It's a cure spell. It should actually give you more of an HP boost. Mm-hmm. So like it wasn't just junctioning spells to certain stat points. It was like what spells make sense a fire spell is going to actually be better to junction to your strength or your defense. Mm. Or uh, actually for defense, like something like shield or barrier. If you have 99 barriers, that's going to boost your defense way more than 99 fires, et cetera, et cetera. And that whole totally. system, uh, I just it made you feel smart. Yeah. Made me feel like I was – it's not that complicated now. Sure. But for a 13-year-old kid – it seemed really complicated. Totally. Totally. But it, like the customization too. Yeah. You're like, oh yeah, like w- what do I want my character to be? You know, do I want to be this, you know, this badass that does these things or has, has more kind of with health, right? More of the healer type. Yeah. That, that game, that game was incredible um, and kind of blew up in the RPG world. And I, I've gone back since and went to seven. And Have you beat seven since? Later? Since eight, yeah, later for sure. But you didn't, sure. when you first played it after eight, you just didn't like it, and you didn't beat it till much later. So seven, I was I was really critical of seven just because it looked bad. Yeah, that was the primary driver for me. As I was like, man, eight was great, great cutscenes. I actually liked the characters in eight, and it gets a lot of shit for the character development versus seven, which the characters are pretty, like they're pretty good. The storylines are pretty good, like. You disagree with like Barrett, for instance, and like that home with his little girl and but Tifa. I, like it. I just oh, I, I like it way I'm, better. I'm because so, a lot of people think the characters in seven are better. That, oh, that's what I'm saying. That's yeah, what I'm yeah, saying. yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm, yeah. Saying, yeah, I'm saying eight. The characters sucked. Like the development, I liked him, though. Right, I liked it because it was like the initial. But like comparing that with seven, there, I yeah, like that's that. true. It was better in seven, although the so like the storyline and stuff was was great, and I liked that a little better in seven, but the. The visuals, it was hard for me to get past that initially. Yeah. But I've gone pa- back and beat 7, and I love 7, and I love 8, and they're both great. And they're just very different. If you're into emulating and uh, hacking, I know eventually we're going to get a Final Fantasy VII remake, I guess, next year in March, they say. Eventually. Maybe. We'll say. Maybe. We'll see what happens March 2020. <laughs> say your prayers. <laughs> but uh, there's a – you can – so there's a site called like Tifa's Seventh Heaven. It's like a forum board. Yeah, because you can download uh, games there too, yeah? I don't know if you can download games, but it's a little bit complicated. I, I did it with the, the Steam version of Final Fantasy VII. You can basically do an HD remaster for really? Final Fantasy VII. So you can swap. The main issue was chibi characters on the world on the regular screens, world map and the pre-rendered screens. Okay. You can swap them out for actual battle characters. And you can swap those battle characters for basically fan-created better versions right okay. and so there's basically in hack you can do for the pc version you can swap out all the character models for both battle and world the um, there's a new technology called in nvidia ansel technology or google pixel something where they use artificial intelligence to upscale original images okay. it's not just running a filter but basically you feed the algorithm a bunch of images uh-huh. and it doesn't just glaze over it actually uses some sort of logic to place pixels where they should be okay and you can up so someone's gone through and done all the backgrounds from final fantasy uh, obviously final fantasy anything zelda mario and final fantasy 7 there's going to be a fan community of mods behind and if you want to get into deep into modding i have it we can talk about after the, i can show you on the later you can basically play an hd remaster of final fantasy 7 right now on pc it takes wow. about 
three hours to set up from scratch. It's kind of sure. a pain in the ass. Yeah. But all the backgrounds have been upscaled using AI technology. It's a 4K. All the wow. models have been swapped out. All the menus have been overdone uh-huh. with higher resolution icons. And there's yeah. so many options. You can customize the you can customize the portraits on the menu screen. You can customize like does Cloud show his is the sword on his back or do you want the sword hidden? Ah, or like, okay. Like you can go Jeez. deep into it. They can you can take character models from different games, like uh, Dissidia, and put yep. them into the game. So they're actually models that would have never worked on the original PlayStation version. Sure. And, and it it's not easy, but if you it, like, if you're listening right now and you want to play, you don't want to wait because you don't <laughs> think the remat the the remake's actually going to come to fruition. Which I wouldn't blame you. You can play an HD remaster version of Final Fantasy VII right now, and I'm like halfway through. I'm on disc two. Really? Um, I've just kind of been playing it casually, and uh, the only downside is once you mod everything, it's hard to swap things in and out. Like you kind of got it. You have to pick what you like from the beginning. Yeah, and you're kind of stuck with it, or you've got to remod the whole thing and start a, a whole new game. Yeah, that might be different because I originally modded it uh, like three years ago. There's been a bunch of improvements on the, in the community. In the it's called, I think it's called Seventh Heaven Boot Manager. It mm. basically it's like a, a like a pre program that compiles everything and then overrides the PC systems files and then feeds the PC version like new files. And so uh, you have to Man. stick with what you pick. Man, and, and all of that's just open source. All, it's all community based. Just community based. Holy and cow! And there's a, a Kotaku actually posted about it way back in the day. And on Tifa's Seventh Heaven, there's a really good. If, if you've never modded anything before, you just basically follow the steps. It goes mm. with you step by step. Here's what you need to download. Download this. Download that. Here's how. Here's how you decide the boot order. Like mm-hmm. the mods have to be placed in the right order because if they override the wrong one in the wrong order, it'll break the game. Mm. But you don't have to understand all of that. You just have to basically be able to follow instructions. Dude, so that's if you awesome. want to replay that game, I might. I'm, I've been I've been holding out for the remake, but I just been depressed that it hasn't come out time and time and yeah, time yeah. again. So I have to take take that up. Yeah, seven's a good game. I think I think that if you were play through it with all of the modded up updates, maybe it's better than eight. The hard thing is like there's certain things just aesthetically about the art style. That I okay. like better about it. like the the ship the Ragnarok that red ship so badass so cool so badass yeah I yeah agree. the love story didn't resonate with me as a kid yeah. between but I was like eh whatever just get past it but eight was did you play nine I didn't I've never played nine to this day that one's good is it's so I've good. heard very mixed things half the people I've talked to and it's probably not half but a bunch of people I've talked to hated nine so i was like like that guy that bought me that that fable game, he wasn't into it he wasn't into, into nine and so i kind of adopted that so i've never played it but i mean like people like yourself said it's awesome it's it's solid it uh depends on so if you were an early final fantasy fan that you were into the nintendo and the super nintendo versions uh-huh. you're gonna like nine because they went mm. back so a lot of people right. the reason they didn't like eight is eight was this mix of like sci-fi and guns and swords right which final fantasy traditionally was fantasy it's like mages wizards and, and mages and yeah. and all the previous final fantasy games up to seven they they reinvented the series for seven Previous to seven, every Final Fantasy game, like most of them, they have certain themes they follow. It was all based around the crystals. Okay. Right? You have your, your basically four to six main crystals, depending on the game. You have spells, you have fire, 
you know, Fira, Fiagra, Thunder, Thundara, Thundaga. Like it was always the same naming conventions. The, the yeah. Agas, Thundaga, Fiagra, Blizzaga were always like the highest version of each of those spells. It was the same elements. You had Demi, Earth. You had your summons, uh-huh. which was either guardian forces or summons, depending on which game. And then Final Fantasy VII kept some of that, but switched it all up with this modern aesthetic. So for nine, they went back to crystals, mages, magic, and okay. you could have four people in your party, which all the Final mm. Fantasy games up to seven, you had four in your party. Seven did the three. Did the three so yeah. seven, eight, and nine, you could only have three people. Oh, seven and eight, you could only have three people in your party. You could have four people in the party. It was kind of a throwback. Uh-huh. So if you were into the newer Final Fantasies, you weren't into it. But mm. if you were a fan of the original Final Fantasies, it was like mixing the new with the old that you hadn't gotten. So that, I think that's why you get that, yeah. that uh, mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get some of the – because isn't one of the characters – it looks very similar to like the Super Nintendo version of like the, the Black Mage. Mage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So I don't want to get too much – now that you're older and I, a lot of the philo- philosophical and sort of existential – thought in that game went over my head as a kid <laughs> but without too much spoilers Vivi the mage who looks like the black mage yeah. from the early Final Fantasies he's he's basically constructed they're like they're creating these mages using mm. instead of like an android like a robot they're using magic to okay. animate beings that are magicians oh, but they're cool. created okay. by humans yeah and his so what's really cool about Final Fantasy 9 the main character is Zidane starts out Really confident. He's like this brash thief, rogue, gets the ladies, he's a badass. Through the course of the game, he sort of loses himself and loses his his bearings. Uh And then the second, I think, main character of that game is Vivi, who's the opposite. He starts out the game like he realizes very early on he was manufactured. But he's, he's he's not like the other mages. There's basically... There's a, a a kingdom or a country in the game that uses black mages as like their their army, like their drone army. Mm-hmm. But instead of robotic drones, they're like these magical drones. But he's self aware. All the other mages are not self aware. So he has this whole journey of like, am I human? Am I conscious? What am I? And so he starts out not knowing who he is by the end of the game uh-huh. he really is sort of this all out and he becomes empowered and then the main character starts out empowered and becomes disempowered and they they, they cross paths so the game starts out Zidane is basically helping Vivi the black mage like come to terms with yeah you may be manufactured but you're special you still have value you're conscious it doesn't matter where you came from I still view you as human at the end of the game Vivi is comforting Zidane who like has lost who he is without spoiling the story too much and so I thought like it's not until I played that game a second time and actually Adam Scott was on the podcast not too long ago he brought that up and once he brought that up, I started thinking about it. I'm like, that is true. I never noticed that as a kid. Yeah. The Vivi, Vivi definitely made me think like, oh, even as a young kid, all right, well, if he was manufactured, but he's conscious, is he human? Is he hmm. at the same quality? Is, like, is his life worth the same as like a quote unquote natural life? Yeah. But I, I didn't like the crisscross of basically how they flipped the two pro- protagonists. I didn't really realize how someone else brought up on the podcast. Anyway, I... I think you like Jeez. it. I mean, it isn't... Sounds awesome. You should play the remastered version, which came out... Well, not really remastered. Like, I guess remastered. It's on Steam. It's on Switch. Yeah. It's on uh, PlayStation 4 because they have a bunch of quality of life improvements. They have a, a speed multiplier. Okay. The RB can like 
times yeah. two times four times eight for battles. Okay. You can uh, turn random encounters off completely if you just want to like go through the story, not do through. random encounters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have like infinite money. It's like if you just want to kind of get through the game and do the story, and not grind. They have a lot of quality of life improvements. Jeez. Yeah. You said so. You said that's on the Switch as well. That's on Switch and Steam. Crazy man, that's crazy, crazy. I'm pretty sure on. I know it's on Steam. I'm pretty sure it's on Switch because Final Fantasy XII is on Switch now. The re, the remaster of Eight just got announced. Because I've it's so coming out. I've been toying with the idea of getting a Switch to. You to, should get a Switch for a, for a couple of reasons. So I can kind of play myself, but then I can also yeah. get my kid into uh, Pokemon. He loves Pokemon. Pokemon's a good one. I hear the new Pokemon game is pretty dope. Because I we went through actually we recently went through and played through. Um, Pokemon Yellow. You remember that game? I, I only on played game Red Boy. and Blue way back. So it's basically the – I swear it's the same or it's very, very, very similar. Close except you start with Pikachu instead of – Pikachu. Instead of what, Bulbasaur or Charmander? Yeah, yeah. And so it was – and I think there are subtleties throughout the game that may have been different. Um, that is such a great game though. All those old school Pokemon games, such great games. Definitely a lot of time playing Pokemon back in the day. That is a good one for kids. I let my kid play Switch. I was actually, she was playing Sonic earlier today, my oldest. <laughs> still a little, like, uh, in the actual handheld mode. It's still yeah. a little too big for her hands to be able to reach everything mm. with her thumb. And it's like things I take for granted. Just the idea of holding the directional button and jumping at the same time is really hard for her. Yeah. She'll be like, I'll like have her playing. She'll come over. Dad, I can't do the jump. <laughs> It's like, oh, you got to hold it over and jump. And but, uh, she's been playing Hollow Knight, too. That's like her game. Interesting. She just like basically spawns in the same spot. And what's weird is she's memorized the map. It's okay. interesting little, how smart little kids are. Dude, it's wild. She knows how to get back to like 20 screens yeah. later because she's played it so many times. She can't do the controls very well. But yeah, it's 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 great for kids. It's great for indie games. If you're into mm-hmm. like I love Metroidvanias, 2D platformers. Okay. There's so many new indie games coming out. They're almost all releasing on Switch. Yeah. Anything that's like 2D retro, uh-huh. I get for Switch. Okay. Anything that's like 3D higher in graphics, I get for PC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Smart. And there's so Smart. many good games on Switch. Man, have they? So here's a question for you: Have they re-released Banjo Kazooie for Switch? No. Actually, they wouldn't because that would be owned by Microsoft. Because I remember – so did you ever get into Banjo-Kazooie back yes. in the day? So that was – that's probably one of the first ones that I started playing with, with my child because Banjo-Kazooie was so formative on me. And Rare just knocked that one out of the park. Yeah. And um, like you said, the graphics were incredible. And You're talking 64 Banjo-Kazooie. And 64 yeah. version Banjo-Kazooie. Yeah, absolutely. Didn't that one require like the – the upgraded like pack, the right? rumble pack, the the rumble. There was like a rumble pack, and there was also like a because I I think there was like something you put in before you put the cartridge in and banjo. No, it was Donkey Kong sixty four. Yes, came you're with, right. Yep, yep. Donkey it, it Kong came 64. with whatever add on that you had to get. It gave it extra memory or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it was extra memory for yeah. sure. Yeah. The, so banjo kazooie, that was a that's probably one of the staples that was not in the RPG world. That was like really you, formative. You were into it, yeah. Really into it. The music was incredible on that game. Listening now, like like I have it on, my wife's like, what the hell are you listening to? And I'm like, oh, it's Spanjo Kazooie. Don't worry. Because <laughs> it's so zany, right? It's yeah. so weird, so cartoony and zany, uh, but so nostalgic and so good. But the replayability of it is not super good because the controls, 
are probably really they're wonky as hell. Yeah, that makes sense. The camera is is hard to see where you're going, but I hear they remastered it for the Xbox One. They well, they came out with a new the Banjo replay. Kazooie. They have, I don't they think have it's a, a remaster. One? I think it's like a new. I'm I'm like ninety. 98%, I was going to say 97% positive. <laughs> I, was, I was like pretty positive because there was like a backpack mechanic where you could like put pieces of puzzles on your backpack. I remember I didn't really? play it, but I remember the marketing campaign yeah. for a new Banjo-Kazooie and it was on Xbox 360 actually, I think. Okay. Maybe Xbox One. Okay. But it's not a remake. It's a new Banjo-Kazooie. Cool. That's awesome. Um, they Because they have – have you heard of the Rare Replay? Because that's a game that they have like all the old school rare games. And I mean with – Oh, it's like a compilation game? It's a compilation game. Yeah, but yeah. They, they mastered a lot of them. So they have Perfect Dark on there. Okay. And they have Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie. They have Conker's Bad Fur Day. Like a bunch of other ones like that. Jet Force Gemini. That was a good one. Yes. I, so I never actually got into that. My friend had it. But they would always be like, yeah, that one's too – like, that one's too complex. Let's play Smash Bros. or something. Yeah, yeah. Which is probably a good choice at the time. I mean, we were, I was young. But um, I, I've heard such good things about that game. Uh, that was a... It was a complicated game. My friend had it. We played together. It was complicated because it was a little bit of a Metroidvania where you had a backtrack. Okay. So... You would get like a you get like an extra jump pack, and that double jump would allow you to access areas. You have to go back to the first level and use a double mm-hmm. jump, and then that would get you an item that would make you be able to access another area. That whole Metroidvania type Super Metroid gameplay that I hadn't played. I'm mean, trying to think. The first game like that that I got really into is Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which Great is game. probably my second favorite game of all time. Um, but yeah, Jet Force Gemini was I remember thinking that it was kind of violent, like, like you kill the bugs and there'd be blood. And I remember thinking, <laughs> Oh, because I my parents were pretty strict and yeah. I was like thinking I was rebel for playing that at my friend's house. Yeah. Whose parents were like even more strict than me, but for some reason they didn't care about video games. And uh <laughs> and we would actually listen to uh what's that band? Responsibility, not yet responsibility not quite yet i don't want to think about it i'm better off without it responsibility not yet it was like this pop Shield, punk man. band dang it for I those of you listening whoever sings that responsibility now nah, dang it <laughs> not some 41 but uh mxpx not mx maybe it is mxpx could have been i think anyway we would play jet force gemini and listen to that punk cd all the time. And it was like rebel, right? Yeah. Listening to punk, playing Jet Force Gemini. You're blowing blugs up and there's blood splatter everywhere. But it was hard. Like we never beat it. We couldn't beat it. You know, you know what's so funny about this? So you mentioned, you mentioned that your friend's parents were more hardcore, but yet games would slip through. Yeah. I feel like that's a common thing because my friend's parents were really, really Machiavellian with their rules and everything. But yet I would go over. We played um, Torok. You remember Which Torok? Which was bloody Which was shit. bloody. Yeah. So bloody. We played Torok, like all sorts of games like that. And it was like somehow games just slipped under the radar. Like, oh, yeah, it's just – it's a video game, right? I think a lot of parents just thought video games was like a little kid thing. 
Sure. Like kids play games and they're not really, I think, because they didn't grow up gaming. I mean, gaming, mm. home console gaming, I mean, the any you had like ColecoVision and Atari before NES, uh-huh. but they weren't like a cultural phenomenon hit. The sure. NES, at least from my understanding in, in America, was the first console that got like a big market share. Yeah. A lot of homes had the NES and that released in the 85 or 86. Okay. And so they didn't grow up having games at home. And I think they just mm. were out of touch. Yeah. Some parents were a little bit more in touch than others. Mm-hmm. Like my parents didn't know anything about Grand Theft Auto. Obviously, mm-hmm. as I got older, they were they were enforcing games when I was younger, like the, street, the Streets of Rage story. Yeah. But as I got older, I could either get it myself or someone – I could buy them myself. Um, or like they wouldn't check. Like I remember buying Grand Theft Auto. I was not 17, mm. but they didn't check. They just let me buy it. Like, yeah. Because they, they, I actually worked at GameStop later in my life and they started implementing you could get fired if you didn't actually ask for ID. Yeah. But when they first came out, the rating systems, they were there for parents, but it wasn't really enforced. Right. It wasn't. And uh, I remember buying Grand Theft Auto 3. And my parents knew I had it, and my dad would come down. He was curious about graphics technology, or like just to see how the graphics were. Sure, oh, graphics are cool, but they ran a news story. Mm. It got on the news about the whole you can you can get a prostitute, yep. you can bang her in the car, restores your health, then yep. you can kill her, get your money back. <laughs> <laughs> like, which is you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just like one small slice of the game. And I remember my mom, yeah. my dad, or my mom. I think it was my dad coming down and being like i know about this game i saw it on the news and i don't approve of you playing it and we had like this big argument and my defense was this is an open world game he's free to choose whatever you want yes you can be an evil person but i don't choose to be evil right that's not how i play it dad i would never i would never (laughs) bang a prostitute and kill her and get my money back which i had done all the time (laughs) because i just you heard about it. It's like, I'm going to try that. Can you actually do that? Yeah, A yeah, lot yeah. of that game back in the day was like you hear like a friend saying, oh, I jumped this car off yes. this. Or I remember like I would – there was this one parking garage in Grand Theft Auto 3 that I'd go to the top of the parking garage and the AI was not smart enough to like come up the parking garage. Mm-hmm. So I would just get a sniper rifle and start killing people, <laughs> get my stars get all the way stars. to five. <laughs> But they would just sit around the outside, and I would just see how long I could last. Yeah. And I'd usually run out of ammo before they got me. Sure. It was just like pushing the boundaries of the game. So if you heard – if a friend told you, hey, you get life when you bang a prostitute, and then you can get your money back. So it's basically getting healed without spending any money. Of course. Sure. Of course you're going to try that. Sure. Absolutely. Sure. Man, it's – that game, it's so funny because, yeah, you can do those things, you know, when you're just messing around in the in the overworld or in the game, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But it's funny. Like, do you ever have this thing where you're like, oh, no, I'm actually going to play the story. And you play the story and that's when your parents walk in is like the dialogue, the which is so and they're just dropping bombs, yeah. F-bombs here, F-bombs there. <laughs> which is arguably way worse than just you're then, messing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that has definitely happened like where – or your parent will walk in. And you're in between like story beats, yeah. And they're watching you play. Like, oh, I'm not going to trigger a cutscene yeah. right now because I know if they see the yeah. cutscene, they're going to take this game Big away. Tony comes <laughs> and starts just. Yeah. Omar brought up on our podcast. He's the only one that bring this up, and it, it jogged my memory. He wasn't super into gaming. He was into sports gaming, and he was into rollerblading and skateboarding. And uh, he got uh, BMX XXX. BMX XXX? <laughs> <laughs> Just because he heard you could see boobs in it. Oh, man. And the way that game worked is if you beat a level 
with a high enough score, mm-hmm. then you would get what they call FMV sequence, a full motion video sequence, which is basically just recorded video compressed enough to fit on the disc. Okay. Just like a live video shoot, and they had strippers, and you'd get rewarded with like a top, a topless, because it'd be like your character won the competition, sure. and he goes to the strip club, and he gets a dance. Got it. Right? And I think, I think they even had tassels on. I don't know if they were like fully topless. Sure. But he, he's like, I got that game just because I, I heard you could see boobs, and I only got good at the first two levels, because... <laughs> He had to get really good in, a, in, a, in order to unlock the video. Go. Okay, and so I just got, got good enough at the first two levels that anytime I wanted, yeah. I could play through the level and unlock the video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like his parents never knew. Like his parents were totally clueless. Like I'm saying, like for some reason, some parents were just the like they were on either they were on the video game thing and they were tight about it. Yeah. Or they just sort of like, ah, kids are playing games. Yeah. And they're like, like my cousin. Speaking of Turok, mm-hmm. I remember my parents were really strict about games. They were on the ball. Mm. And my cousin, whose parents were way more – my parents were pretty strict when it came to religious stuff. But my, my cousins were almost like kind of that weird religious okay. person. Like they, they made even like the strict people sort of – like they're the type of people that you couldn't dress up for Halloween because it was satanic. Got like it. They went deep. Got they went it. hard in the paint. God, I, I had a friend, so is, are they like this? I had a friend that he couldn't watch any PG movies without getting them approved, he, and he couldn't watch some G movies. Pocahontas was banned from his house because That's how it my was skimpy. Were. That's how they were. Okay. They were really, really, Perfect. really, really intense. Like, they had an interesting relationship. My aunt and uncle, the rumor in the family is that they, they never consummated their marriage. Both the kids okay. were adopted. Really? And they would tell people that they couldn't. I don't know. I think they actually couldn't have kids. But I also sure. think that they were very, like, they were very pious people. Okay. Very reverent, very. Yeah. Like, and I was, like, this bad influence on my cousin. Mm. But I was a pretty good kid for the most part because my parents were strict. But I remember, my speaking of Turok, mm-hmm. I remember going over and my uncle was playing Turok with my cousin. And I remember being like, <laughs> I called him out. I'm like, why do you like? I can't even play this game. Yeah, and he's like, ah, it's just like it's green blood. It's fake. Like it's not yeah. realistic at all. <laughs> for whatever reason, like he, my cousin, on Sundays they couldn't do anything. They couldn't yeah. hang out. They couldn't play. Where I was like, I could go play with friends on Sundays. My parents were like, the Sabbath day thing they were pretty lax on. Sure, on like ninety nine percent of things. My cousins lived like right next door to us. They were behind us, so I'd hang out with my. And he was like a couple of years younger than me. And I hang out with them all the time. And they were way more strict. But they didn't care about Turok. They didn't care about Halo. Yeah. Like all these things that I couldn't play uh-huh. for whatever reason. It was like, yeah, it's just, that's a good point. Like they just didn't – like movies, they were strict about movies. But they were not strict about video games. And he would even play with his kid uh-huh. and see the game. And it wouldn't trigger his sort of pious mindset at all. It's, I don't know why. Interesting. It's weird. It's weird. It's super that weird. Video games es- escapes the the filter of some of these. You know, some. Of these I wonder types. now. I wonder, like modern kids growing up in hyper religious households, whether it's Mormonism or Seventh Day Adventist or like Protestant or someone who's like really really pious. I wonder if I, mean, I imagine video games would be more. They're more mainstream now, and parents are probably more aware, but. Maybe we just grew up in a time where it was like the the golden age where a lot of parents just turned a blind eye. Probably. I mean, there's 
currently such a big attack on video games, right? Trying to associate modern oh day gosh. violence with being on video games. Because oh, <laughs> I think goodness. I think that's the big thing now, and that's why it's so like parents are are probably really vigilant if they're on that side of the spectrum because oh, it's going to turn my kid into a serial killer. Nah, science doesn't support that. <laughs> I, I saw I saw a really good post that was like, okay, um, Canada, Australia. They said I think it was Portugal, France, Italy. They 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 named off like thirty countries. Sure, all have the exact same games that we have. Yep, no mass shooters. Yep. So, I don't know. It all started with Columbine because the kids at Columbine played Doom. That's the first time Doom I... was hardcore though. Doom was Doom pretty hardcore. Was... <laughs> Brutalizing the face like dude, it's Doom yeah, was Doom hardcore. Yeah, Doom was definitely the man. most like satan. And I remember I had a young men's leader that let me play Doom. So and speaking of the same thing. So I had a young men's leader that was like the most hardcore LDS member. He would and he was also my pre- so he was my primary teacher. Okay. Through like three or four years of primary, and mm-hmm. then he became a young men's leader. So he, as I got older, his calling – for those of you who don't know anything about growing up Mormon or LDS, there's like callings. There's a group of people, about 150 of them live in a local area at a ward. Each person has a calling, basically like a job to do in the community. And some people's callings is to like do activities with the youth. And so they split between boys and girls. So as a youth, you usually have an activity once a week and there's someone in your local neighborhood who's in charge of doing activities for youth. But every two years, you grow up, you join a new youth group. Well, he would basically just get called to the new – so you started as a deacon, priest, whatever. He just followed me. So he was mm-hmm. my young men's leader through primary and a lot of young men's. Uh-huh. And uh, he was super hardcore. He told me, I remember in Deacon's Corn, which is, for those that don't know, it's if you're uh, 12 to 14, is Deacon's? 12. Just 12. Yeah, it's 12. Yeah, 12 to 12, 14. 13. 12 to 14 13. to 15 mm-hmm. is teachers. 16 to 18 is priests. So from 12 to 13, he was my, my leader and he taught me lessons. At, at, when I would go to church, he'd be the guy that gives the lessons. And he told me that he knew through revelation that the prophet who's going to be prophet when Jesus comes back has already been born. Okay. And he was, he was hardcore. He was like amongst the the ward, the local community. He was one of those families that was so hardcore. They were kind of on the outskirts. Okay. Like they were a little, they were really, really poor uh-huh. and really, really hardcore into like deep Mormonism. Mm-hmm. And he would always say things. He would always claim like he'd get up for a testimony meeting, which if you don't know, once a month, the LDS church people get up instead of having regular speakers. It's sort of like an open mic. Basically, they have an hour where anyone from the congregation can get up and share their thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. Well, he would get up and talk about like getting personal revelation which is interesting because that's a tenet of Mormonism, the idea that – but sure. you're not really supposed to do it. Sure. Or anyway, he would get up and be like, I had a revelation that – anyway, he claimed that he had revelation that the prophet who was going to be prophet when Jesus comes back is already alive, meaning okay. Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. Yeah. So this guy's hardcore, but he let me play Doom <laughs> all the time. He would let me play Doom. And oh, I remember – and like sometimes we'd have like weeks where the young man's activity wasn't well attended. Yeah. But my parents made me go every week. Uh-huh. And I remember specifically there was one week where I was the only one that showed up to the church. Uh-huh. It was just me and him. And he knew I liked games. He's like, do you want to go play Doom? 
Cause he didn't have anything planned. It was just me. Yeah. I was like, yeah. So, and he had the computer in his bedroom because he didn't let his kids. <laughs> he didn't let kids because of the internet and porn and all oh, that. He man. was super strict. Yeah, yeah. And so the computer was not in the like. It was only in his bedroom, and his kids could only get on the computer with his supervision. You're, it, it was to protect the kids. <laughs> Yeah. Now that I think about it, <laughs> Every, everything you're describing is red flags, my friend. He was kind of a weird dude. And his kids turned out really weird, too. So there might have been oh, – he was a shifty dude. But also, it's weird how the most – yeah, anyway. He was like hardcore, always claiming to have revelations, deep doctrine. He let me play Doom. And I remember him telling me, don't let your parents know that I let you play this game because I know your parents wouldn't be cool with it. Yeah. And uh, I remember I, I had, because of the internet, or he had internet, we did the no clip as Doom 2, actually. Mm. And I, I, uh, we did some cheat codes and got to the last level. And the very last level of Doom 2, the final boss is like this giant pentagram skull in the wall. And you have all these other demons and you have to shoot rockets into the mouth. Mm. But if you use the no clip cheat code, you can go through the final boss, the wall, and behind the final boss is a severed head on a stick. And the severed head is John Carmack, the main programmer for Doom. Okay. It was like an Easter egg, but neither one of us knew that. Yeah. We were like talking about like what is the symbolism because the the end boss (laughs) is Satan basically. Sure. And that behind the illusion of Satan is just the severed human head. Yeah. And he was tying it to like the fall of Lucifer and the pre-Earth life. (laughs) And like I just had this weird memory of playing Doom with him and, and like getting into deep religious discussions trying to connect Jeez. satan and the in the period like yes yeah, interesting he was super hardcore but he didn't feel wrong letting me play doom even though he knew my parents wouldn't be cool with it <laughs> so not not only is it playing doom it's assigning all sorts of spiritual meaning <laughs> to aspects of easter eggs in the game basically all the way down to don't tell your parents. Don't tell my which, parents. Which is never a good sign. He never. He, by the way, for the record, he never tried anything funky with me. Sure. I don't think he was that kind of guy. Sure. I think he just. I think it was just like. I think what it really came down to. No one showed up for an activity. He didn't have anything planned. It's like I'm just going to entertain this kid with some video games. He loves to play Doom. Just totally. don't tell your parents. Totally. And I, yeah. I mean, I would cut him slack too. I'm sure yeah. he was just like that's that's his outlet, right? Yeah. I play these games. I also had the hots. I also had the hots for his daughter. She was like a year younger <laughs> than me, and so I was also stoked to go to their house because I might run into his daughter. Yeah. But she wasn't there that night, unfortunately. No. Nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. I never never got into Doom. Never got into Doom, unfortunately. Yeah, um, it was tied to the Columbine thing because I think the kids mentioned Doom in their manifesto. It's like one of the. Mm-hmm. I don't think they had direct. I'd have to look at this again. And yeah, I don't think they directly attributed their motivation to Doom, but it was mentioned, or the parents had mentioned mm-hmm. that they liked the game, but it wasn't part of the manifesto. And that's the first time I remember video games being used as a scapegoat for violence. Right. Was the Columbine mass shooting? Interesting. That's kind of the the beginning case yeah. of hey, video games get in kids' heads, yeah. and then they shoot up schools. The fact that they're still trying to do it now, like it's, it doesn't make so much sense. Like I know the Republican Party. Like I have my beef with both left and the right, but the fact that the right tried to do this video game thing, it's just like come, sure, come on, sure. Like you just like look. I don't. We don't. I don't try to get into too much politics. Like look. 
I don't know if just ban- banning guns is not going to work. I think this just doesn't make logical sense. But if you're so pro-gun and you're so like worried about any blame on gun, like let's just pick video games. Sure. Because it makes no like. Do you want to solve the problem or not? Sure. Or do you want to just make a political play and protect the guns and win your popularity contest because you know a lot of your your supporters are right wing and they're worried about their gun rights being taken away? So you're just going to pick video games as an easy target. To me, shows you're not really interested in solving the problem. You're just interested in winning the next election. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is probably the probably the crux of our political issue across the board. Right, right. Because it's just trying to blame video. Like I said, if the whole world plays video games. Yep. Man, I but we're the only country with this. We're not the only country with mass shootings, but we're the only one with like the frequency. Right. Right. So it's obviously not video games. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't get that. I don't understand the the credibility or the logic behind the arguments. Because um, it seems to me that there's a lot, a lot of studies that have disproven that. I mean, just like the one you said, right? With other other countries specifically. So I don't know. I don't. I don't understand that. But uh, the thing is, more people have more people are gaming now than ever, right? This is something we could talk about. When I when I first started becoming or identifying as a gamer, becoming more into video games versus the majority of my peers Mm. was somewhere around in the PS1 era. PS Mm -hmm. definitely by PS2, I was all in. And if you were a nerd, it was like I kind of kept like I didn't talk about playing JRPGs at school. Hell no, <laughs> fuck that, no. absolutely <laughs> not. I'm not going to talk about Legend of Lagaya or Legend <laughs> yeah. of Dragoon yeah. or Beyond the Beyond at school because that's anime weird Japanese shit you're oh, going to yeah. get made fun of. Sure. And, uh, but now it's way – like that same cousin that was really hardcore used to make fun of me for playing games and now he's way into gaming, yep. right? More people are playing games than ever. More people have consoles at home. Yeah. But I don't – actually, for as far as I know, this is just based off Steven Pinker's book, which, by the way, I don't know if you know who Steven Pinker is. Yeah, absolutely. Professor wrote – I was all into Steven Pinker, but he's actually kind of cra- – I'm kind of like – Really? We'll have to get into that another day. But he's yeah. – I'm sort of flipping my – anyway, but he does make good points. The, sure. the state of the world, in, especially when violent crime mm. in the United States as a whole has gone way down. Mm-hmm. So if video games cause violence – you should see an uptick in just violent crime across the board. Sure. We're actually seeing less violent crime than ever. Yeah. And the history of recorded violent crime, since we started taking records of all this stuff, we have some of the lowest crime rates, I think in the 90s is when it really started dropping. Yeah. Um, but we have more video game adoption, more video game playing, more video games sold, more consoles and homes yeah. than ever. So I just I don't see how you can make the argument that video games – Look, there's probably some crazy kids out there that can't tell the difference between whether it's a game or a movie or a Marilyn Manson album, which is also Marilyn Manson. Music has been under fire for mass shootings before because of lyrics. But I just I just don't see the connection. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a, a gross misattribution to trying to, you know, trying to peg something as the ultimate end all be all. I mean, you see that with everything. I think you hit it on the head with music. Um, yeah, and all sorts of stuff. It's just not a lot of substance there. A lot of speaking lot of, of music. I wonder if Godsmack is still making music. 
I want to know if Godsmack has a okay. new album. <laughs> well, okay. So speaking of other games that had incredible music, as well as speaking of BMX Triple X, so I never actually played that game. I never could get my hands on that. That one would. That one's a little bit harder to put a little a T on. <laughs> it says XXX on the cover. But um, did you ever play Dave Mira? Back in the Dave day? Dave Mira's BMX, right? Dave Mira's, yeah. Mira's BMX. And it had like uh, Black Sabbath on it. Yes. It had like NERD. I'm pretty sure um, that came out. So Tony Hawk's success, after Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1, yeah. there was like rollerblading games. There was biking uh-huh. games. There was more snowboarding games. Yeah. Cool Borders 2. Cool Borders 2. Cool Borders 2. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you so, get the alien? <laughs> yeah. Cool Borders 2 and uh, 1080 snowboarding. 1080, on yeah. 64 where yep. there's two premier snowboarding games. I played a lot of Cool Borders. Oh, yeah. A lot man. of Cool Borders. Cool Borders 2 was the game. Yeah. Have you ever tried any of the other Cool Borders? Nope, only cool borders too. <laughs> so bad. I got one of the more recent cool, more recent. It was just it's still on PlayStation One. Yeah, it sucked so bad. It was not cool borders. I bet cool borders two sucked. It just if you went back and played it right now, it sure. probably wasn't that good. But oh, after cool borders on PS two, you had the whole SSX franchise. Yep. SSX one, yep. two, three, and uh, tricky. tricky. I believe yep. there's four, mm-hmm. or maybe number three was tricky. I know because I had SXX1 was a launch title. When mm-hmm. PS2 first came out, uh, my friend Joey Wallen was uh, my same friend that introduced me that SNES showed me Chrono Trigger. He's mm. always like f- cutting edge video games. Uh-huh. He got a PS2 launch day and I got it like six months after launch. Okay. And even six months after launch, there's like 10 games. Mm. And SSX was one of them. So yeah. we played a lot. Of, and that was like the new Cool Borders for me. Yep. Um, but yeah, Cool Borders 2. Damn, I would have never remembered that if you brought it up. I played a lot of Cool Borders. That game. That, that game, game was, was awesome. So and it was so fun. Like, you felt so good once you got to the point where you could earn the alien riding on his UFO. Yeah. Doing all sorts of tricks. Dude, that game was great. Like, just the graphics. The graphics probably didn't age well. I haven't seen it since I was way back then. Yeah. So in my head, it's, like, vivid. But, like, you're going down. You're going off of the school buses in the snow. Yes. And then, like, grinding on, like, the power lines and stuff. So good. 1080 was awesome because they had a real world locations, and they had okay. they had Brighton, which was a Utah resort yeah. in 1080. So that was a big deal for all the homies. Like they actually have a Utah yeah. location in 1080, and the graphics were a little bit. I remember <laughs> so we graphics were such a big deal. Now they're so good, and we're all used to them. Yeah, but I remember. Thinking 1080 was better because you could see your tracks in the snow and cool borders you couldn't. Sure. Okay. So it was like, 1080 is better because you actually can see your <laughs> tracks in the snow. Oh, man. Those graphics. It's all about them graphics, baby. Man. So funny. Like, speaking of those real world like locations and games that was groundbreaking like you remember cruising usa yes and it was like what we're in moab or whatever you yeah. know we we're in like real places crazy cruising stuff. usa has some good memories because i remember my dad wasn't interested in games and he sort of always low-key shamed me <laughs> for playing games <laughs> He's like, my son my son's a nerd <laughs> i can't blame him because uh luckily they they made me uh, balance my life. When I was really young, they made me – I could only play games as much as I played sports outside. Okay. So if I did two hours of soccer practice, I could play two hours of games. Once mm. I became in high school, it was sort of like – as long as I got good grades, which if you're a younger kid, man, I don't know how kids are these days. Speaking of parents having weird rules, 
Getting getting uh, getting like above a three point seven, getting on the honor roll, yeah, not that hard in yeah. high school. Really, not that hard. Sure. And if I got straight A's, maybe a B or an A minus everywhere, my parents just turned a blind eye. Really, I learned that really young in junior high. That was the ticket. If I could, if you, and I actually think about that now. Even if my kids, if my kids came home with straight A's. I'm going to be much less strict. Like, I'm just going to sort of assume they have their shit together. They've earned it, right? They've earned it, right? Yeah. And so I, I learned that if I got straight A's, I could sort of get away with things. Well, what did I say before this? I'm losing my train of thought. Anyway, what were we talking about before this? Cruising USA. Oh, Cruising USA. Yeah. So my dad was low-key low shaming me about games. <laughs> and uh, but, but when I got older, I was getting good grades. So they didn't really mm. tell me when I could play and when I couldn't play. Okay. I was getting straight A's. I was playing drums a lot, and I had some hobbies. But uh, he would shame me about games. But where I could get him on board was improvements in graphics technology. Okay. And I remember – have you heard the term pop-up? Uh, it's a graphics term really. meaning as things come in the horizon, your, your, the draw distance is that far. Okay. So a tree might just pop into existence because yeah, the yeah, draw yeah. distance – right? And I had never heard that term. And I remember seeing Cruising USA or Cruising World in the arcade and being mm-hmm. like, I got to show my dad. The cars look so real. I'm going <laughs> to impress my dad. Maybe maybe he'll like games. Yeah. Maybe he won't hate me for liking <laughs> games. And I remember showing him Cruising, Cruising USA. It's weird how memories stick out. And he, he said, the cars look really realistic, but I, he, he didn't know what the term pop-up was, but he pointed out pop-up. He's like, do you see how like things in the horizon just sort of pop into existence? Yeah. They just sort of appear. They don't fade in. Um, they they got to figure that out. It's still like they're not there yet. And wow. it's sort of like, I'm not impressed. Nice try, <laughs> oh. child. I'm not impressed. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Oh, and man. that's the memory I have about Cruising USA. I remember the graphics blew my mind. And yes, the real world uh, mm. locations. Because you could pick tracks all over the United States. Yeah. And uh, he just wasn't impressed. He wasn't, wasn't impressed. Man. Unfortunately. I thought you were going to take that the driving route and say, oh, yeah, I loved it because the cars, like the driving. The cars did look really, really good. And there was a game on 64 that I thought was cooler than Cruising USA. Do you remember Rush? Yeah, yeah. Rush, like Tricky Rush 2044 or some bullshit. Yeah. Man, do you remember? Okay, so do you remember Gran Turismo? Oh, oh, man, we played played Gran Turismo. And for one Christmas, I was like, Mom, Dad, the only thing I want is – Gran Turismo with the steering wheel and the pedals. You got the whole setup? So I got the steering wheel and the pedals, right? For PS2 or PS1? I'm pretty sure it was just PS1. Because Gran Turismo 1 and 2 were on PS1. Yeah. It was PS1. But man, if you've ever tried to play Gran Turismo on simulator mode, you know what hardship is. (laughs) You cannot cannot get your license on that game, man. Yeah. It is so hard, at least with the steering wheel and everything. That was impossible. Man, I think Gran Turismo might be the the first sort of realistic Mm. sort of simulation. Because all the racing games prior to Gran Turismo were way more arcadey. Totally. Like Ridge Racer was a a PS1 launch title. Okay. And I had Ridge Racer early on, but it was like a arcadey type game. Sure. I didn't get into Gran... Gran Turismo was famous on PS1 and it was legendary. Mm-hmm. And especially the replay mode with the 3D graphics, you could control the camera. Yep. That was... Did you ever play a game called Driver? 
I remember on PS1. It. Yes, I yes. remember it. That just came into my mind. Yes. Driver was amazing. And I used to spend hours in the video editing mode uh-huh. where you could like do your mission uh-huh. and you go to replay mode and you could say, for this 10 seconds, put the camera here. Yep. For this ten, and you could make your own little movies yeah, it's very in driver cinematic. mode. Oh, man. But Gran Turismo was the first to do that before mm-hmm. Driver. But Gran Turismo 2 came out – or 3 – Oh, it was actually A-Spec, Gran Turismo A-Spec, I think okay. it's called, on PS2. Mm-hmm. And met the graphical jump for that, like, I remember blowing my mind. Mm. And I got into that. And speaking of hardships, so Gran Turismo, I don't know if they had it on the PS1. Mm-hmm. You tell me if they have it. But on the PS2 version, they had endurance races, okay. which were like nine-hour races. In order <laughs> yes. to unlock the Formula One car, they had to do three <laughs> endurance races. Oh, my god! And they're like six to nine hours. In real time. In real time. Holy And I, there's like 12 of them. And I just did the – I looked by the internet had come out by then. Yeah. I just – what's the fastest car in the game you can unlock? Look that up. What are the races you have to do to unlock that car? I, I just did – I believe it was two or three endurance races. But I remember putting on music and just like – Saturday, Whoa. just sitting through, and you get you get so good, you're like four to five to six laps ahead of second place, and so you can kind of like doze off and have a bad lap because they have to lap you multiple times to catch up. Yeah. But it's a full six hours to wow. beat those endurance races. That's... Did they have endurance races on the on the first one? I think they did. I am not 100 percent sure. I never did that. Yeah. Honestly, my time with Gran Turismo was literally just. I'm going to play simulation mode. I love, like, you have your own garage. I love you. Yeah. Custom make your cars. Love that. And then I would always go and I would, like, get my licenses and it sucked and it was so hard. I'd be burnt out. <laughs> yeah, because so, you have to pass a test to unlock, like, the new circuit of racing. Yep. 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 And, then, and then from that, you don't have very much money. So then you have to buy a car and it's always this just – this terrible toyota or something that doesn't run very well does it's like handling's garbage and you have to race with that right to earn your stripes and then you earn money and then you can buy more parts and you can continue to upgrade and upgrade and upgrade i would get burnt out by the probably the fifth or sixth race because the the qualifying was the hard part yeah and it really was because i was trying to qualify with the, the damn steering wheel right and it was just hard to like because like it was really finicky you would like turn and it's not like a real car. Did it have car. force feedback? Like it would kind of rumble and push back? A little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Like the steering wheel, like if you turn it like this, it was almost like it had power steering. Turn it like this <laughs> and you let go and it would go boing and like bounce back. Yeah. But it wasn't like when you turn, it wasn't like a real car where you actually turn the wheel around, right? And it turns the wheels. So you would just be driving and you would like turn it like it this. It didn't have like the full range where no. you go over and over. So you turn yeah. it like that and your car would like Full turn. turn. And so, so, so like. So small. Okay, like I got to make this. And you like turn it like tiny bit and then your car would go it was always fish telling like come over here and then come back and come back and then you're just in over swing yeah and you're like this isn't even fun anymore and that was my gran turismo experience <laughs> the whole time dang yeah gran turismo <laughs> that was i think the first simulator and then you had forza came out yeah for xbox was like the gran turismo competition but yeah gran turismo one and two on ps1 or i didn't play them but i remember them being legendary people talking about them i had so eventually Somewhere around when PS1 launched, I uh, got a – my parents got me a subscription to EGM, Electronic mm. Gaming Monthly. Okay. And I had a subscription to that for almost a decade. Uh-huh. And I kept, I, re- I kept all of them <laughs> until like a couple of years ago. This is a really sad story. So I had a PS1 collection that was 
Honestly, if you're into JRPGs and PS1, I had the best collection in the world. Okay. Not mean that the world, but when it comes to just PS1 games, I had all the classics. Yeah. Black Box, Greatest Hits. I had some games that were still shrink-wrapped. I had four copies of Final Fantasy VII. This will be funny. Whoa. So I, I've told this story Holy. on the podcast before, but I think it's worth telling again. Final Fantasy VII, the first – I got it launch. I pre-ordered it. I got it launch. My and I begged my parents to uh, take me to GameStop the launch day, and uh, we had just gotten back from a vacation at Lake Powell, and they were all tired. And I remember, I remember fake crying <laughs> because my mom was like, "Let's just get it tomorrow." And I had been waiting for the game. I'm like, "No, it's out." I pre-ordered it. We had just driven back from Lake Powell, which is like a six-hour drive, <laughs> and I was like, "The, the GameStop's going to close." And I remember like putting on the fake show of crying, yeah. like I wasn't, but I needed my mom to take me. And we got it, and I played the game. The, so I got it launch, the first version of the game, and my disc got scratched. And I remember it was oh. it was uh, three discs. It was disc two. Okay. Disc two had a scratch in it. There's a cutscene. For those of you that remember the game, you get to the Juno, which is like the big gun mounted on the on the on like the shore. It's like a city called Juno. Mm-hmm. There's a cutscene where the airship lands, and the game would freeze on that cutscene, and I was stuck. And I had taken it. I remember back in the day when you had CDs that were, you had like those CD cleaners. Yeah. You like spray the foam disc on doctors. it. Disc doctors. Disc doctors, right? Yeah. I had put it in multiple disc doctors. I had taken it to Games Crazy. Uh-huh. They would like fix your discs. Nothing would fix the scratch. And I remember I was like super religious at the time. I was like, okay. I remember praying and praying, like bargaining with the higher power, with the God of my <laughs> religious system. Like, I will read my scriptures. I won't masturbate. I won't, like, I'll do whatever it takes if you can just get this game to get past. Because I was stuck. Yeah. I couldn't get farther than the story. My prayers were never answered. The game never worked. And I ended up buying another copy of the game. Okay. Just to finish it. Okay. Right? Because I had that job. I was working construction in the summers, and I would make 100 bucks a week. And I would basically use that money for the rest of the year during the school year. I had the money to buy the game again. I bought the game again, and then I bought it again uh, greatest hits version, yeah, with the green bar instead of yep. the black bar. Yep. And then I then I bought then I lost them anyway. So I had four cop. I bought another copy later. So I had four copies of Final Fantasy VII. Long story short, I sold all that stuff early marriage and needed money. I sold my whole collection, which I got somewhere between like twelve hundred bucks, thirteen hundred bucks for my whole collection. Okay. They gave me really fair prices for a lot of those games. Yeah. But I also got rid of all my EGMs. Okay. At the same time, I had like hundreds of EGMs. Why did I bring up EGM? I've been drinking too much whiskey. <laughs> yeah. What did I bring up EGM for? You can tell me a sad story about all this. What was the sad story about? Is it just that you had to sell it all? No, but what, why did I bring up EGM? What were you talking about? We were talking about... Man, that was a minute ago. Sorry, friends. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, at least my words aren't starting. I don't remember why I bought. But anyway, I had EGM. Why did I talk about EGM? People listening like, oh, my God, you're so stupid. Uh, what were we talking about EGM for? Man, because you were saying about your collection. That's how you ramped it up. You had, you had your collection. Something the collection. Anyway, story. I sold the collection, sold the EGMs. <laughs> And, well, I didn't sell it. No one wanted the EGMs, but okay. I just like threw them out. But I had this awesome collection of Electronic Gaming Monthly. I was going to bring it up because something, something in the uh, the magazines about one of the games we were talking about. They covered one of the games. What were we talking about before this? Before that, we were talking Gran about Gran Turismo, right? Yeah, Gran Turismo. Oh, yes. Forza. Gran Turismo was mentioned in EGMs all the time. Okay, so I knew it was a legendary game, but I didn't mm. play it till A Spec. 
mm-hmm. came out on the PS2. Yeah, that's awesome. You're the first one to bring up Gran Turismo, actually. You're the first one to bring up Lagaya. Tang, what else on PS1 do you remember? Man, PS1. Played all sorts of crazy games. So, okay, riddle me this. Was Chrono Cross. That was PS1. Yeah? Yeah, baby! (laughs) Chrono Cross. Chrono Cross was in... It blew my world open again because you could have so many different choices of characters. There was a lot of characters. And you could miss if you did the wrong thing. So the first time I played that game... I remember all I had was Surge, the main guy, uh-huh. the blonde-haired girl, okay. a couple of the guys, and there was a character that had like an electric guitar. That was – yes, dude. I remember because <laughs> I had an electric guitar too and I was like, identify with this. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and there wasn't that many. And then I remember speaking of EGM, getting an EGM like, stu- like article. There was a review and then there was like a strategy guide or some tips that came out later. And I had beaten that game and I had realized I missed like – a lot of characters. Yeah. Like, you can miss a lot of the recruit. Like, there was a lot of playable characters you could put in your party. Yeah. And, man, I missed a lot of them. There were, weren't there, like, like tons? There's a lot. Tens I would say, like, tens? 18 or 20 or yeah, something Yeah, it was, like, like it was insane. Especially coming from games that you could have, what, typically three people in your party, but yet that was, like, how five maybe total, you know, yeah, Chrono on some Cross, of these other ones. Chrono Cross is, a, is it's not as legendary as Chrono Trigger. No, not at all. I'd say it's almost as good, man. Could you be the okay? Could you be the frog in Chrono Cross? That's no, that's Chrono Trigger. Because I know that's in Chrono Trigger, but I swear I remember there might be some character. I'm usually a completionist. I do everything in the game. Yeah, but Chrono Cross was a little hard. Still, it was hard. I didn't like. I never went back. I beat that game once. Mm -hmm. I never went back and replayed it and got all the characters and all the secrets. Okay. So there might be – there are – it is technically a spiritual successor to Chrono Trigger. Sure. There might be the frog or some references to the frog that I missed. Chrono uh, Trigger though? That game. That game is always on my phone. Second the only game JRPG I will always ever. carry in my pocket. I don't care. If they don't – if they discontinue it on iPhone, I will buy a freaking – uh, Raspberry Pi and make a damn Chrono Trigger <laughs> thing to keep in my pocket. That game is insane. That game is amazing. When did you end up actually playing it? So you- I didn't play it. Dude, I can tell you exactly when I started playing it. It was when it came out. Um, no, actually, I think I did play it on an emulator before. But when I – maybe not. Regardless, I got into it when I had an iPod Touch in 2000. 12 or 2013. So you didn't play it so I didn't play it till wow. way later. Yeah. I never had it on Super Nintendo. But I remember – I remember playing. Yeah, it was on an iPod Touch. Shittiest little experience, but it was it blew my my mind, man. Because that game, the storyline was incredible. The storyline, the music, incredible. the time travel, everything about that game. Oh, bouncing like, back to the dinosaur age. Yes. Oh my god. And the fact that all the the endings. So like, like speaking of, if you go back to the dinosaur age, you don't have to actually complete the prehistoric quest mm-hmm. where you go and kill the lizard king and the dragon. Okay. If you don't do that, when you beat the game, the ending, because you never killed that part, the lizard quest, the ending is actually that humans died out and the lizards took over. The game has oh, something crap. I want to say. <laughs> it's either 13 or 30. I think there, there's three. It's either 13 or 30 endings. It has a bunch of multiple endings. And it was one of the first games that the endings depend on what you do and the choices that you make in the game. Yeah. And this is I – mean, originally it was released in like 98, Jeez. 99 for yeah. the Super Nintendo, somewhere around there. And the, the writing, the concept of multiple endings, time travel, the music – 
I mean, I, like I have a remix album for Chrono Trigger. Like that that game has been remixed so many times because mm-hmm. the music, I think, is the best JRPG soundtrack of all time, and it's my second favorite JRPG, second to Coden Two, which I'm about to get a tattoo on my wrist for Coden Two. My wife, by the way, my wife has been begging me to get a tattoo. Isn't that weird, dude? My wife is the same way. <laughs> That's so weird. So weird. Yeah, she's been. Uh, I gotta make sure. Still yeah. yeah, you're good. begging me to get a tattoo, and I think I'm going to get a Sakoden 2 tattoo. Anyway, Chrono Trigger, I'm interested to hear how did that game impress – because you played it way later. Yeah. Obviously still blew your mind even though it was an old game. Oh, yeah. What, was it the story, mainly the story that blew your mind? What about it? Okay, so I loved I loved the characters. Love the characters. I love the whole like the whole story with the frog being the – you know the wasn't he the prince? The, I got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, so I love that. I love the weird mad scientist, Luca. I thought that yeah. was so awesome. Um, I love the robot that you meet in like – In the future. In the future. But then the probably the kicker to me that really just glued it all in my head was the time travel. I love when you go to the, the realm in between time. Land uh, beyond time. Yeah, land, and it's land like, beyond time. It has like the – it's just like fences and and it's all black around yeah. it. Yes. Just that, so mystical. Yes. That painted such a vivid picture of like – what it like what is time what, what is it, time like, yeah yeah could we go back and forward could we go to the past and change the future because we messed around with the past right crazy stuff there's a there's a really cool ending so i don't know if you played new at the very end of the game you get a rainbow shell okay in it the rainbow mm. shell is what allows you to get the best gear in the game uh-huh. but you can't get all the best gear you have to choose either to make a weapon or armor out of the rainbow shell. But then you can do New Game Plus, whereas you start the game all over again, but you keep your levels and you keep your gear. Yes. And so by playing through the game multiple times, you can end up getting rainbow everything for all your characters. Yes, I do remember this. So at the very beginning of the game, when you go to the fair and you first meet the princess, the girl, at the you run into her at the fair, the pendant yeah. drops, pick the pendant up, and then she gets – she you go to Luca's doing the demonstration with her teleporter. Uh-huh. And she goes into the teleporter and she disappears and you, you go into the same teleporter to follow her. You get sent back in time and that kind of s- sets the game off. If you go into the wrong teleporter, which is on the left side of the screen, you actually fight Lavos immediately and boss. <laughs> but you, uh, if you're playing the game for the first time, you're just going to die. Yeah. And you only have Chrono. There's no one in your party. Yeah. Well, if you've done New Game Plus enough – and you're like high enough level and you have all the rainbow gear, you can beat Lavos by yourself just as Chrono. With the – just with the – what's the, the sword? At the very beginning the of the game. Matsu, the rainbow Matsu sword. Or the, rainbow, the rainbow sword? Yeah, the okay. Masamasun is Masu Frog's Masu. main. Right, right. The best okay. sword. Okay, got I it. I think it's rainbow sword, the rainbow helm, the rainbow armor. Anyway, I played through the game a couple times. I had Chrono decked out. Uh-huh. Luminaire is his best spell. Okay. Um, uh, Easter egg on my remix album for Chrono Trigger. I have this cool like remake of the Luminaire, the spell, mm-hmm. and it has like a six point star with all the time periods around. I put all this time into the artwork Dude. for that remix album. If you check it out, it's like there's like a hundred Easter eggs in the artwork for okay. that for that remix album. Anyway, you you beat Lavos and you can beat Lavos at the very beginning of the game. And when you beat Lavos at the very beginning of the game, you go to the to the realm of beyond time. The ending is you actually you don't watch the ending you play the ending, and the the ending is you go to the land of beyond whatever it's called beyond yeah, yeah, time yeah. or in between time, and there's there's like little NPCs that represent all the developers of the game. 
Okay. And they like talk to you about like you were never supposed to see this ending. You weren't how did you beat the game so fast? Like they knew it was possible to beat the game. Yeah. But like they give you this weird sort of ending where they have all these NPCs and they talk to you as the developers of the game. Basically giving you props for figuring out how to beat Lavos at the very beginning of the game. And that's mm. one of the endings. And I just I remember thinking like like the fact that like that's an ending that maybe less than one percent of players are ever gonna get. And uh but they put it in there. They put it like that game there's so much love yeah into put into that game. I think that's why it's one of the timeless classics. Oh absolutely. Do you ever think in like weird times where you're just in your head, do you ever think like what if that happened in real life? Like what if you're just sitting there and like you beat the game of life and suddenly you were like you weren't supposed to see this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I the actually, sprites are like, ooh. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, I had a – not a friend, but a friend's friend. So the, do you remember it, it was on – all over social media in Utah. There was basically a husband and a wife where the husband disappeared and there was like this big campaign I online. Do. And there was all, kind of like rumors about like <clears throat> why this guy disappeared and – Maybe he was murdered. And like the friend that was launching the campaign to bring awareness, there was rumors that he actually killed. All that was like bullshit. Okay. I have I have a friend that wasn't friends with the guy but uh, knew him th- – he's a coworker. Okay. Knew of him. And what they – this – so take this all with a grain of salt. Sure. You and those listening. <laughs> um, he said – well, there's two things. One, the dude had had an affair and there were some issues with life that maybe he didn't want to pull into. But he was also – he was really, really religious, uh-huh. LDS, prominent religion here in Utah. But he got into mushrooms and was doing a bunch of mushrooms. Okay. And what I heard through the grapevine – again, this may not be true. But like you said, do you ever think about the game of life? Just yeah. someone telling me this story made me think. Whether the story is true or not made me get into this weird mindset and the, the story they told me was he did a lot of mushrooms and he was very successful financially, very like, basically an overachiever, above average in every aspect of his life. He was mm-hmm. very big, very fit, very strong, athletic, very uh, successful door-to-door salesman, very wealthy. Mm. And he felt like he'd already figured life out and he was so sure that there was something beyond. He's like, it's time for me to level up and move on and he just offed himself. Wow. But it wasn't like a depressed suicide. Yeah. It was like I've I've already figured out everything there is to figure out in this life. It was a graduation. Graduation. And just whether that story is true or not, it's probably not true. Just the rumor that I heard. But it got me thinking like, well, yeah. And like I didn't think about Chrono Trigger specifically, but this idea of something that exists outside of time. Yeah. Because we, we hear about things online like – Time is the fourth dimension, right? Sure. And it's not constant. It isn't static. Yes, you hear that, but your brain doesn't comprehend it. My yeah. brain doesn't comprehend it. Apparently, really smart people into math get it. I sure as hell don't get it. Sure. But the concept gets in my brain. I started thinking like, well, yeah, what is? Like, if you do want to level up, maybe death is the next step. And maybe there is this realm beyond time. And what if this is – what if life – reincarnation or going back in time or the idea is like when you see the end of interstellar right that movie blew my mind right so the end of interstellar he goes if you haven't seen he goes into a black hole and he sees all of time at once he's in this like weird string cube Mm -hmm. and it's like he's the one that pushing the bookshelf 
back in the day that started the whole thing off and he's like trying to con- talk to his daughter back in time and like he's seeing all time at once mm. and just the idea of like maybe death is the pathway to this next realm yeah kind of creeps me out because i don't know if you've ever had this ever since i was a kid sometimes i'll stand at the edge of a cliff and be like <laughs> i'm not depressed i don't want to die but maybe i should just jump oh man just to see what happens like just to see what's next sure that curiosity and that same curiosity of like mystical connection to the unknown that's what Cron- that that land beyond time yeah it gave me that feeling as a small kid yeah right? you go to this place outside of time and just that concept as a small kid first time i probably thought about that yeah. thought about four dimensional space or thought about time is not actually linear mm-hmm. it in Chrono Trigger was like that that feeling of sort of like breaking your brain. Yeah. You can't – that Chrono Trigger is one of the earliest memories. That and I remember thinking about um, so Celestial Kingdom. For those of you who are not LDS, mm. the idea is that you're going to go to this heaven and live forever and there's no end and you're going to progress forever. Yeah. And I remember, <laughs> I remember making a microwave – remember the yellow burritos with the Mexican dude with the hat? The frozen burritos. Yeah. I'm sure every kid's had those. The 10 cents. Mic- <laughs> yes. I was doing a microwave burrito watching it and I was thinking about forever. Like when I go – if I make it to heaven, if I make it to heaven, if I quit masturbating, I'll make it to heaven and I'll live forever. There's no end. Uh-huh. Like everything I know has an end. A year ends. There's a cycle. A day ends. 24 hours, 12 hours, a minute, 10 minutes, an hour – you know, a decade, like a generation, everything ends. And the thinking, I got scared thinking about the like eternity. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna exist forever. I don't know if I want to exist forever. That same feeling of like, oh, my brain is starting to fall apart because I can't comprehend this concept, is the same way I felt when playing Chrono Trigger. And I'm in this place that's called like whatever it is, beyond time or in between time or after time. Well, how can something exist beyond time? Mm. And I remember trying to comprehend that as a kid. This gives you that like sort of that feeling of like your brain breaking. Yeah. That's one of the things I remember from Chrono Trigger. Yeah. Yeah. That, That land, it was, it always felt serene, even though it's like dark there's yeah. nothing there it felt serene because it felt like there's just like a like a uh, a light a lamp post yeah a lamp couple post. rooms yes and that's all it is and then it's just black but it's weird because it's like okay you're progressing through there are monsters or robots or whatever you're fighting in where whichever you know place that you're at and it's always it felt like it's everything's moving forward right and it feels like suddenly for a minute it's not moving forward. You're anymore. outside of this whole linear progression. Yeah, you're yeah. outside, kind of like almost looking in, just as a spectator. Like, like there's nothing going on. It's it's quiet. This it's place nothing. is outside of time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's trippy. Weird. I wonder. I wonder how they actually got that game green lit, and because that's a pretty. Those are just some heady concepts. For a SNES game aimed at children that came out in the nineties. So what the hell? That is, yeah, yeah. I have no idea. I have no idea. But I'm forever grateful for those developers and those designers that were able to get that thing gone and out. Um, man, speaking of okay, so speaking of other games like this, not trying to to hijack this, but bit, you want a little bit more. <clears throat> I'm good. Thanks. So. <clears throat> Not trying to hijack this from you, but 
Um, Bioshock. <gasps> Bioshock was another one. Did you, you know what's interesting? So we have a uh, a common coworker mm. at the agency we worked at that okay. I historically had some. Uh, we've talked about it in the past. Some like a uh, subliminal friction with. Okay, but he really likes Bioshock Infinite. Yes. Yes, and uh, that was this weird co- thing we could talk about. He's also very religious, and we disagree on religion. Mm. But Bioshock Infinite, mm-hmm. for those who haven't played, I haven't read into this, <laughs> but there's no way, no way, there's no way they did not reference the birth of Mormonism. No in way, writing that game, hundred percent. There's no way, one hundred percent. They had like they they had to have. Looked at multiple – because that whole game is like American colonialism yep. sort of distilled, which in that sort of manifest destiny um, – there's actually a really good podcast I've never listened to before. Shout out to the last podcast on the left. Okay, like, They've been around forever. Apparently, they're famous. I just barely got into them because they're doing a five-part series on the history of Mormonism. Really? And it's really, really good. Like they ha- It's like they do history. Then they have these little comedy sketches in between. It's more like Radio Lab. It's not a podcast like this. It's more produced. Okay, got it. The comedy parts are sort of like hit and miss for me. Sure. But they did their research. They mm. went all the way through No Man Knows My History by Fawn Brody. They okay. all read uh, Rough Stone Rolling. Yep. They did a bunch of other stuff. And what they talk about is in the beginning of America, I didn't really think about this. Even all the history I've done into Mormonism is the concept of a free-for-all for religion was brand new. Before sure. religion was usually connected to – you had your state religion, uh-huh. Catholicism, Protestantism, the, the Church of England, whatever. And uh, the Mormonism was like – Joseph Smith came – it had only been like – I think they said like 70 years or 60 years since America had been founded. Okay. And so we had this like wide open sort of wild, wild west of like there's no such thing as a state religion. And anyone can be a quote-unquote entrepreneur or a priest – or a preacher, and you have this like weird mix of like America. It wasn't just Mormonism believes that America was divine and in the founding of America was inspired by God, but it's not just Mormonism. That was like an American belief in general. Sure. And so this whole like manifest destiny, American colonial, like that's all in Bioshock Infinite. So totally. it's not just Mormonism, but Comstock and like the whole. The prophets. There's the prophets. Like, there's no way that they didn't look into Joseph Smith a little bit. There's no way. There's no way. No way. Playing that game, that's exactly the the feeling that I had. That's exactly the just everything through the whole thing. Just subtle. And a lot of them are really subtle, right? So, oh man, I'd have to go back through to pull out all the all of the different details. But starting with the the you know, come with us into the waters of baptism. Dude, the opening scene with the yeah. baptism. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And the ending scene with the Baptist. In the ending scene, yes. <laughs> yeah, man. Beginning to end. Oh Alpha, my Alpha and Omega. It is nutty. It is nutty. That opening scene. So the first time I played it, you like, well, I, was, I, I guess it's technically it's not the opening scene. You, you start on the boat. You go to the yeah. tower. Yep. The tower takes you up and then you end up in this baptismal font with all these statues and candles and you're wading through water. The flowers the in the water. Singing. Yeah. And it was like – it was so it just it just hit this place and then you end up getting baptized and you go through the baptismal font and you go into the city and then everything's 
and it is growing up being LDS and and knowing us going on a mission and being I was sort of the missionary that dealt with a lot of anti-Mormon stuff. Mm. So I was pretty well versed in um Mormon history or at least the the uh the pro church version of Mormon history. Mm-hmm. But even with that, it's very obvious that the like American exceptionalism and divine America was a big part of Nauvoo and Kirtland. And when you get to what's it it's not what's the city? Columbia? Yeah, Columbia. Columbia. Mm-hmm. When you get to Columbia, I'm like, oh, this is Nauvoo in the air. Basically. That's what that's remember what I was I'm thinking. I'm like, this is cool. But that's what Navu was supposed to be. That's what Navu was, was supposed, supposed to be. To be yeah. a, away from all the persecution. It was yeah. this this walled garden that, you know, we can do what we want, but yet Navu was the swamp originally, right? Yeah. I get Kirtland and Navu mixed up. Navu originally was a swamp. Yep. They drained the swamp. No one wanted to live there. Yep. I mean there's a lot of hard work to make that city happen. Totally. Yeah, that that game. And there's even a time travel mechanic in that game. Yes, there's a really good time travel mechanic in yeah. that game. Do you know what's even crazier? Now that we're talking about this and remembering that story, you know, with the lighthouse, um, with which is so Bioshock in all the games, right? Yeah. But when you get to that lighthouse, it's weird because it's almost like it's like taking um, taking Booker. Like he doesn't want to go, like against his will, right? Yes. He gets in the in the seat and he gets blasted out. It's almost like blasted into this hyper religious, hyper, you know, zealous yes. group that he can't really control, right? It's crazy. And then, but then he turns out to be Comstock himself. Spoiler alert! The <laughs> game's like ten years old. Shut up. If you haven't played it, I don't care. If you haven't played it, man, you're probably not going to. <laughs> you're probably not going to. You should though. You should. You should. You should. Anyway. One of the memories I have of that game is it was like a bonding point with a coworker that normally felt a little like there was some like unsaid tension always. Got it. But we could bond on Bioshock. Sure. So it was like, oh, we at least had this common ground with Bioshock. Which is so weird because I anticipate it was bonding on Bioshock with – you're bonding on two different sides of the same coin. Yes. Which is interesting. Yeah. But- That's why I like that game. It kind of helped me like navigate some of those waters like, hey – I don't I don't know how to but like hey we can talk about Bioshock and video games you know what I mean like and help me like and it's I good. liked I liked that he liked that yeah because that was like a common ground and yeah uh, and I remember him talking about how like blown away blown away you know what I mean I don't know how much you want to get into it but sometimes it's like how it's almost like with the parents and not like letting games sort of get a free pass versus movies and music uh-huh. in our, our childhood growing up. Sure. People can be exposed to things that should make your mind question other things in your life, but they don't. Okay. Like I don't understand how you you could grow up and be a really devout member of the LDS church, play Bioshock – Okay. Have that not make you sort of think sure. about your own church's history. Sure. Sure. Yeah, it's weird. It's the subtle numbness that you have towards some things. Yeah. I thought about this a lot. So like like you mentioned, we live in uh, Austin, Texas now. We recently went up to Waco and went to the David Koresh compound where all of the Branch <gasps> Davidians went down. Oh, how was that? It was crazy. Was it creepy? So you know what's crazy is at first – and this is this is Tell so, people what that is if they don't okay. know what it is. So David Koresh, he was a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and he broke off – and I, please, I'm sorry if I'm getting all the details 
um, or not all the details correct. I'll get the vast majority, um, and I'll paraphrase so that I don't have to get too too specific. But essentially, he uh, David Crush then wanted to create his own sect of the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Anyway, they created this big compound in Waco, Texas, and. Um, Long story short, it ended with a big government shootout. standoff, yeah. a shootout. There's a lot of conspiracies around all of, like, a lot of the smaller details and everything um, with that as well. But David Koresh, he became this this kind of cult icon, right? Where he was like this prophet, he or self-professed prophet. Um, but just like most most evil men, when they get power, you know, they started to do all these evil things, right? Started to have sexual relations with all these women. Why does that always happen? Why does it always that happen, like, it's not just It's just not just the LDS <laughs> church. It's like every community, small cult to big, to sure. Catholicism, everything in between. Sure. Secret sex and profits. Yeah. And money. Go, and and money, getting money. Go hand in hand. Just generating money. So anyway, that happened. So you, you ask like, was it, was it creepy? I, we're all products of our own biases. So we get there and it's, it's pretty beautiful landscape. We get there and we're like, Oh man, this is so beautiful. But there's these big gates and we, like we went in and in our heads, we're like, Oh, this is so creepy. This is so creepy. It wasn't creepy. We were just in our freaking heads saying it was creepy. Cause once we actually, um, we actually went down to where kind of some of the ruins are. Um, and there's a, a church there. It's like the only structure that's still, still on there. Yeah, yeah. The, that plot where the compound was. And, um, and this lady came out and she was just like, Hey, how are you guys doing? And, she, and we started talking to her and, you know, we were kind of like, we'll ask for forgiveness if we're not supposed to be here. Like we weren't doing anything bad. We just wanted to take a look around. Just check it out. Yeah. Um, and we didn't think anybody was there and she came, she came out nicest lady ever, nicest lady you'll ever meet. And, um, and we're like, Hey, well, you know, let's, let's hook her up. Cause they have like a donation thing. So we gave her 20 bucks. She was so grateful. She's like, Hey, you know, let me give you a tour of the church. Oh, she toured sweet. us around. She gave us the insider scoop. Right. And the insider scoop was very interesting. It was this conspiracy theory. I say conspiracy theory just because I'm from the outside looking in, but yeah. really she, like her perspective was, look, David Koresh was a, he was an evil dude and he kind of pulled the curtain over all of our eyes but the government was what was at like the the bad force here right they drove like trucks or a tank into the side and of the compound and killed a bunch of children they they covering, didn't need yeah. to they didn't I've need to all, just shoot yeah. in you know they could have captured david crush when he was on his run anyway all that conspiracy theory stuff but um one of the weirdest findings was one we're always looking to confirm our beliefs right so like when we went there we're like oh this is creepy right it wasn't creepy it was actually quite a spiritual place right see seventh day adventist people were great people right um most of them this the, this lady was 99% of them sure were good people kind of like having kind of yeah like taking advantage not take yeah manipulated i guess sure. would be the way to say it yeah absolutely which with with many belief systems, you know, when someone goes corrupt or whatever, most of the people, they mean well. Yes. Um, but then it's that whole confirming your bias thing, which I think comes back to what you were saying, where with like video games or whatever it is, sometimes you don't want to see that, you know, you don't want to see the parallels. You don't want to play Bioshock and say, that's confirming, like, this seems a lot like, you know, whatever, Joe Smith yeah. or whatever. You see, 
hey, that's kind of, that's that's interesting, or oh, that's cool, you know, oh, they they paid homage to Joseph Smith, like this yeah. is a positive thing, right? Instead of seeing it as, oh, he's actually kind of like he's kind of throwing a dagger out there. Levine yeah. is right, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah, who knows? Com- Comstock <laughs> seems, and Basha, he seems like a a hybrid of Joseph Smith, Jim Jones, uh, any any sort of early American cult leader mixed with like time travel and sci-fi yeah that game yeah they, and steampunk steampunk everything steampunk everything so good so good with that giant bird yep that thing was so and cool. like the you go inside like the giant statue of comstock to save the girl yes. yeah yeah yep. but what i liked about that was the whole and i think this is kind of the central premise of probably all the bioshock games i never i've never played two I didn't, i've only played one, one in infinite. yeah i've only yeah. played one in infinite um and then a little bit on the, the dlcs from infinite but um what i like about it is the illusion of choice right it's all centered around this illusion of choice you for instance in infinite you've got Oh, you know, you can choose the bird or the has, cage, the right? The couple that has the chalkboard. Yes. And they're like, you're going through and you think you're choosing. They're like, oh, but- 77th time. You yes, still chose yes, this yes, one yes, or yes, whatever, yes, right? Yes. Because that's the whole premise. They're dicking around with time trying to figure out, like, is he going to choose the same stuff? Is he going to choose different stuff? You know, like, it's it's all about that illusion of choice, right? You think that you're choosing your own path, but in re- reality, in the end, you're one and the same. You're Booker and you're Com- Comstock at the same time. You're at the same time. That actually reminds me on my mission. I served the mission for the LDS church, which is like basically you go to a, out for two years and try to baptize people and join the church. I would do this lesson on faith, mm. which was a, I uh, learned a magic trick. And I picked it up from another missionary. But the magic trick is you take a deck of cards and you show them the, uh, the bottom four cards and you put them at the bottom of the deck. And then you put the bottom four cards down on the table. But when you're putting them down, you uh, for those you can't see, basically you slide the bottom card out of the way, which is their card. So you say, pick a card. They pick, say it's the, the king of hearts. Okay. And you put the king of hearts as the fourth card from the bottom. Okay. And then you put the first card down. You put the second card down. And then you put the... Uh, um, and you show them each card, and on the third card, you you show them the bottom card, which is not the kingdom king of hearts, it's whatever is at the top. Uh-huh. And so, and then when you go to put the card down, you slide it out of the way, and you actually put the king of hearts down. Okay. So they think, let's say the card on top of the king of hearts is the jack of spades. They mm. think you're putting the jack of spades onto the table, but okay. you're really putting the card that they picked, king of hearts, down. Got it. And then you put another card down. So, and then you say. You saw all four cards before I put them on the table. None of them were your card, which, which is you – don't, you don't know what it is at the time doing the trick. But in their mind, they're thinking, my card's the king of hearts. And you say, I showed you all four cards before I put them under the table. Uh-huh. And they say, yes. Is your card one of the cards on the table? No. And I'm like, well, you should believe me. I'm telling your cards on the – you should have faith. So the idea is faith is sort of like believing in something even though your senses. Sort of, which is kind of messed up now that I think about it. I talk about this. <laughs> like, don't trust your own intuition. But it worked really well at the time. It's basically saying your eyes are telling you that the card is not on the table. But okay. I'm telling you the card is on the table. Even though I tricked them, it is on the table. So once you do that, then you have four cards on the table. You make sure that you pick up their card, which in this case is the king of hearts, second. 
So you pick up one card, you put the second card, and do the same thing again. You show them the bottom card, which again is some other card. Okay. And then when you got to put it down, you use your finger, you slide the bottom card out, and you actually, you actually put the second card on the table. Okay. So again, their their card is King of Hearts. It's now on the table again, but they think that card being put on the table is some other card. Then you show them the three other cards, and if they're savvy, they'll realize that they saw two cards, one card twice. Nobody ever notices. And so now you say <laughs> you've seen all four cards two times. Okay. And you've never seen your card in their mind. It's the King of Hearts. I'm telling you that your card is on the table. They're like, no, it's not. You got to have faith in me because I'm the prophet or I'm the, and this, I'm the sim- symbolism of, of God or whatever. I'm telling you that despite what your eyes tell you, that your card is on the table. Like, no, it's not. I've seen all four cards twice. So this is where the illusion of choice comes from. Then what you say is pick two cards. Now, what you want at the end of the day is you want their card to be the last card. So if they pick two cards, they say, I want this one and this one. If it's the ones they pick, then you take the other cards away. They just assume that the way the game works is whatever they pick stays. But if they pick the the two cards that are not their card, you take them away. Then they assume whatever you pick gets taken away. So they think that they're choosing the what stays on the table or what doesn't stay on the table, but they're really not. No matter what they choose, either you're going to take two cards away, you're either going to take the two away that they picked or keep the two that they picked. Got it. Either way, they're going to think they're choosing. And then you say, pick one card. There's only Mm -hmm. two left. If they pick the card that is their card, you take the other card away. If they pick the card that isn't their card, you take that card away still. Mm. So no matter what they choose, the last card that's left is their card. Yeah. Then you flip the card and they're they're the first time I saw this trick, <laughs> I thought it was some satanic shit. Like I was like this is impossible. I saw all four cards twice. Yeah. And I picked all the cards and somehow my card ended up. Yeah. And uh that illusion of choice, I remember thinking like even as a missionary, oh okay, so they think they're choosing stuff, but really I'm sort of game, gamifying this whole thing and I'm in charge the whole time. I'm in complete control. That's the same thing with Bioshock. Yeah. Is you think that you're making choices, but the game is going to lead you where it leads and give you the illusion of choice. And then that again, why that game is so impactful, if you're, if you're older when you play that game, that game came out later, so I was old enough to start thinking about it. I'm like, well, it makes me think about Sam Harris and his mm. argument of determinism. Like – is my free will an illusion? Am I really choosing things or is this all being funneled down to something? Just like this card trick I did on my mission. Yeah. And, it, and I don't have the answer. But sure. the fact that that game can sort of put you into that mind space yeah. and make you think like that and really – the fact that a video game can make you question the nature of your reality – it's a good video game. It's a really good video yeah. game. And that's like that's not even taken into consideration just the playability and replayability of it too, right? There's so many I mean it's crazy how complex to be able to nail that story. How do you design story, something like that? Yeah. In addition to everything else, in addition to the insanely beautiful graphics, the immersive world, the yeah. music. Man, I have no idea. What's the guy's name that's over BioShock? He's famous. Levine. Kevin Levine, Kevin yeah. Levine? I remember him talking about they almost – Bioshock Infinite almost got scrapped. Uh, one of the issues he was talking <laughs> about was the uh, the rail system. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, and for some reason, 
the I can't remember the, what the technical difficulty because that game originally came out on PS3, Xbox 360. Uh huh. Um, not super powerful consoles, and something about bringing in like connecting the world together and keeping the what was actually playable at times small enough for the memory size, but still being able to move on the rail system fast. Something about that. I remember him talking about almost broke the game, and they mm. almost had to like either give up the game or drastically change the game. Yeah, luckily they did, and they figured it out, and it's one of the greatest games ever so made. Good. But yeah, shout out to if you haven't played Bioshock Infinite or really any of the Bio, I Even haven't played the first two. one. The first one's great with Fontaine, the, well, yes, and Atlas, and the underwater world. Yeah, so good, so good. That also has a great opening when you uh, you uh, you go you you your plane crashes. Next to the again a lighthouse, mm-hmm. you get in the elevator. You go down to this like ruined underwater world, and you're in the initial pod. And the person is talking to you over the intercom, and one of the creepers is like trying to get in the pod. Splicers, no, uh, splicers. Yeah, and you're just sitting there like I have no weapons, and yeah, that game. That whole I haven't played two though. Yeah, I've not played two either. And it, I know it didn't get the greatest reviews, but you play as a big daddy. Yeah, in two apparently. I hear that the. I hear that the gameplay is actually more fun because you can dual wield um, in what in Infinite it's salts in the first yeah, one yeah, it's yeah. plasmids it's plasmids yes. so you can dual wield plasmids um, and weapons and stuff it's crazy so I hear the fight system's better but I've never played it because I hear the story sucks <laughs> as compared to I actually don't I don't think Levine was part of two really I think two K Games was published it I think they had a I think he was working on Infinite when another team mm. developed too. Could Maybe be. he was like an executive producer. I have to double check on that. But yeah, that game is. Uh, did you play it on PC originally, or it was a console? PC, man, for sure, for sure. That was actually one big reason why when we built those PCs, I was so interested. I wanted to play um, Infinite on 4K, just yeah. max settings. I don't know if it's been changed now, but Infinite, there's one issue with playing Infinite in 4K. Hmm. The text doesn't scale. So okay. all the subtitles in the UI is so small, you can't, you can't see it. And I have bad hearing, so I need those subtitles to be able to yeah. understand. And I, I think there's a – I remember finding a mod on Nexus Mods where you can – it will upscale the text. But mm. I had to like go through some modding. It wasn't too hard, but – Getting that, yeah, that was one issue, but it looks great in 4K. Yeah, yeah so I've never actually, unfortunately, I still haven't played it in 4K because you I don't have a don't have 4K monitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I played it max settings in 1080p, and it's still gorgeous. So it's just a great game from A to Z. Anything else on PS1 that stands out to you? It's like a, a man influential game. Anything else? Oh, man, PS1 had all of the influential games. Crash Bandicoot. <gasps> yeah, you they just Crash? released like the remake of Crash Bandicoot one, Ooh. two, and three. I think. Yeah, okay. or at least one. But they released re-released like a remaster on PS4. Okay, of all the Crash Bandicoots, or at Crash least Bandicoot one. Was, dude, Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider, man, Tomb Raider Two, such a good game. Is yeah. Tomb Raider Two the one that has the dinosaur, or is Tomb Raider One? No, Tomb Raider One, I think had the dinosaur. Has the T Rex. Tomb Raider it. Two, that was one that I got from a demo disc. Okay. It was Tomb Raider 2. And I remember it was the best, like, I can't remember exactly where it is, but it feels like, you know, some European city. You go through, you kill all the guards, and you go to the top. And then you have to run and jump, and you jump out and jump over onto the, the tops of the, the buildings and stuff to unlock different things. And then you swan dive off into the water. 
You can go under and get your boat. It's the first boat that you get in the game. You're just cruising around. I remember Tomb two, Raider two and those triangle boobs. Those tri- <laughs> triangle <laughs> and, boobs and short shorts. <laughs> and the time was like, she's so hot. And you go look at the game now like, how did that ever turn me on as a small child? But this is something we brought up on the podcast too. If you grew up pre-internet era, your exposure to anything sexual was basically nothing. It was basically triangle boobs. Triangle boobs. <laughs> Uh, I would steal like the the lingerie section from the Kmart ads. Uh, <laughs> like you had nothing. You took what you could get. And uh, that I remember. Speaking of a sort of bad publicity, that game got a little bit of heat mm. because of her proportions. Oh She's yeah, short shirted, big tittied. But like when you actually look at the game, come on, man! Like they're just two pointed triangles, and the like, the graphics are so rudimentary. But the flip side is I do remember thinking she was hot yeah. as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. The the game designers nailed it to ship enough games or just a bajillion games out there. Do you remember Dead or Alive? I remember Dead or Alive and I do remember – First game with first game with jiggling boobs. With jiggling <laughs> – Dead or Alive. Yeah. yeah I remember I – don't, I don't know if I ever actually played it that much. Um, I, I had a friend that had Dead or Alive. Which one was that on? Was that a Dreamcast? I think it was originally Dreamcast and PS2. Yeah, I think I remember playing that one on Dreamcast a little bit. Man. Did you have a Dreamcast or a friend had No, it? I didn't. But, you know, a funny thing about Dreamcast is um, I had a friend that had a Dreamcast. And I remember when it came out, he – this guy was a classic bullshit artist. And he would <laughs> tell me – he was like, oh, yeah – like, you, you can come over and play Dreamcast, but we can only play for 45 minutes. I'm like, okay, that's crazy. Why? And he's like, we can only play for 45 minutes because the graphics are so good, it will mess your brain up if you play for longer than 45 minutes. Now I know he's just an asshole and wanted me to leave his house so he could play Your brain's going to blow. He just didn't want to share his Dreamcast. <laughs> he's like, you'll get sick if you play for more than 45 minutes. Because the graphics – I do remember – seeing some of the pre-hype for that game. Again, I had an EGM subscription. And I remember specifically an EGM article talking about Madden. Okay. And it was comparing uh, PlayStation 1 polygon count for the average Madden player on the team Uh versus the Dreamcast. And the the big headline was, there are more polygons in the foot of a single player (laughs) on the Dreamcast version of Madden than an entire player on the PS1. Okay. That's how powerful it was. Yeah. And I saw some some initial previs for Sonic's Adventure on okay. Dreamcast. And I was like, I didn't know video games could look so awesome. Totally. And I remember telling my parents that I wanted it. They're like, we just got you a PlayStation. <laughs> and it was 500 bucks. Yes. And they wouldn't get me the Dreamcast. I wanted it. But luckily, I mean, it, it depends on whether... So I had John Jimenez on, who's like this artist guy that was on a couple episodes ago, and he got the Dreamcast launch. And up until the Wii and now the Switch, up before those two consoles, it's weird. Dreamcast had the was the fastest selling console of all time mm. prior to the Wii. Okay, but it also was Sega abandoned it abandoned it within two years. Jeez! So it was like this crazy skyrocket. Then crazy downfall. Okay, and uh, and uh, people who are Dreamcast like fans are dream. Like the way I look at PS One is like the greatest time. There's a lot of people that Dreamcast is, and mm. I think that the fact that it died so quickly makes it sort of this has this cult following. Yeah, it's a collector's item. It's like Donnie Darko. 
Nah, we... Okay, let's talk about Donnie Darko. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Sidetrack, Donnie Darko. So my drum teacher, bless his soul, Mike Dell. Shout out to Mike Dell if you want to learn how to play drums. He's the best teacher in Utah. Um, I'm pretty fucking good at drums, thanks to him. He was also like my second dad, and he would introduce me to good movies and games okay. as well. And he first told me about 13 Monkeys, which is this Bruce Willis. Oh, yeah, man. Time travel movie, which is awesome. If you haven't seen yep. 13 Monkeys. Another cult classic. Cult classic. Totally. And he also talked to me about Donnie Darko, which I initially loved. And I've, I was uh, – so Donnie Darko is like sort of the movie person that movie people recommend. And if you're into movies and you say like Donnie Darko, like true movie guys would be like, eh. That's like saying you think Final Fantasy VII is the greatest JRPG of all time. Sure. Like I will – if you say you think Final Fantasy VII is the greatest JRPG, I'm going to judge you immediately. <laughs> and people would judge me for saying I think Donnie Darko is a cool indie movie. Sure. And I used to think like they're just being haters. Okay. Because Donnie Darko – again, we were talking about Chrono Trigger and that mystical sort of time travel. Put your head in this weird place that you you can't comprehend the concepts that it's sort of bringing into your consciousness. Donnie Darko definitely does that. Mm -hmm. But now in hindsight, reading more about – what's his name? Richard – Richard oh, – Oh, man. I can't remember. But he did Southland Tales. I was going to say, have you seen Southland Tales? Southland Tales, which is weird and kind of shitty. Yeah. But I kind of liked Southland Tales. Okay. It has uh, – what's his face? Stifler. Okay. Stifler's in Southland Tales. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of Donnie Darko's genius was by accident. I agree. I fully so, agree. I think it's a good movie, but I think it was sort of luck yeah. that turned that movie. It's a great movie. Sure. But I don't think it's as genius as like a as a director, architect in building this thing. I think he had some great ideas and sort of think the right things fell into place. First off, the soundtrack for Donnie Darko. So good. So good. Duran Duran. Duran. It has the when Notorious. they first what's the song when they first get to the school? Danny Elfman, Oingo Boingo, right? Oingo Boingo. I think that's what it is. Yes. That song. Echo and the Bunnymen? Maybe that's what. I have to look it up. But yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of those. I think it's Echo and the Bunnymen. Anyway. Yes. Incredible soundtrack. Incredible soundtrack. Incredible soundtrack. So good. And it talks about... Again, we're back on time travel... And uh, it was also one of the first movies that had CGI. When Remember when he sees the vision of sort of the blob coming out of people's chest? Yep. Which is almost exactly like the alien in – have you ever seen The Abyss? Uh-uh. Oh, I have, dude. I saw that way young. Way young. So way young, that was yes. one of the first movies that had CGI and the alien in The Abyss is sort of this liquid, clear liquid. Almost yes. the exact same effect. I don't remember which movie came first. Uh-huh. But again – uh, early CGI, which I think is uh, Silicon Knights Rare, they were some of the early 3D stations were. It's the same technology they were using to make Donkey Kong Country. Okay. Um. Anyway, that movie. Yeah, that movie. Like something about the soundtrack and the story, and sort of just enough mysticism and time travel that I think what ended up having ended up happening is the way people filled in the blanks made it seem much more genius. And maybe maybe that is the genius of the movie. Maybe we should give him more credit. Yeah. Whatever his name is, Richard something. That's Richard like, Kelly? Kelly. Yes, yeah. Richard Kelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I don't, I don't know. I'm back and forth on that movie. I used to think it was one of the greatest movies ever. <laughs> then I went through the phase where it was like, this movie's nothing but dumb luck. Now I'm somewhere back to the middle. I need to watch it again, to be completely honest, because I was the same way. I was like, this is, this is the best movie in college. Loved it. Loved it. And then it didn't age well. I, I tried to watch it again. I was like, this is the stupidest movie ever. And so I think I've, I think I've done the rebound kind of like you. I need to watch it again. You should watch it again. Yeah. It's a, I, there's one iconic scene that I like is when the two, <laughs> the two siblings are arguing at the, at the dinner table. At the dinner table. <laughs> and the little girl's like, they said, why don't you go suck a fuck? And the little girl's like, and it kind of goes silent, and the parents don't know how to act. Like, our kid just said, told, our son just told our daughter to go suck a fuck. And the little kid, what does suck a fuck mean? <laughs> yep. Classic. So, man, so yeah. many. So many. Shut up. That scene? Yes. That was classic. Um, man, some of, those, some of those were dark, though. Some of the dark, I dark I think there are elements. Like, it did, it did capture sort of an exaggerated version of white suburb life. Totally. It's sort of totally the, uh, the uh, like, we, we could talk about this, like, I'm experiencing it now, whereas I have everything I ever wanted, I have all the toys, all the gear, I have my man cave, I have successful business, everything's better than it's ever been, but I have a sort of a, a like a, a looming sense of unsatisfaction mm. that I'm trying to figure out. Like they say money isn't happiness. Sure. Not that I'm super wealthy, but everything that I wanted in my 20s, I've accomplished and I've sure. gotten. And that same thing they sort of play out like the quality of life in the suburbs in the 80s and the 90s is great. Like everything's perfect. You have the white picket fence. You have the yard. Your kids are going to school. Everything on the surface seems all right, but nobody's all right. Sure. Right? There's no war. There's no starvation. There's no famine. But people are, in a way, more messed up. And that's what Donnie Darko sort of – what I will give credit to, aside from the, the time travel stuff, is that that feeling of, like, uneasiness, right? Yes. There's something wrong in the neighborhood. There's something wrong with the way we're living our lives. And, like, we're searching – and I don't know. There's something about that going to school – and the bully, like, I don't, he just hit that. Obviously, that's a problem people have been feeling way before our generation, right? Because we were, when that movie came out, we were little. Totally. Little. Totally. I think it's kind of that same vibe and the same theme with Edward Scissorhands, too, right? Yes. Because it's like good, that. Good. It's like great, beautiful suburbs. Like, the just the visual aspect of that film is like all these houses that are brightly colored. They're cookie cutter. But yet you've got this monster that's kind of looming, right? In the mid- yes. Yeah. The un- also, Pleasantville. You remember seeing Pleasantville? No, I haven't. I haven't. I think is that Jim. I don't know. Jim Carrey is the other one where he's the Truman Show. No, Pleasantville is where the whole movie's in black and white. Okay, and they live in this like perfect neighborhood, cookie cutter. Uh huh. But as they sort sort of they sin, uh-huh. they do things that are not pleasant. Uh huh. The not c- color comes back in. So one of the first characters, she, I think either she fornicates or she's married and she commits adultery. It has nothing to do with sex. Okay. All of a sudden she's in color. Okay. And she can perceive color, but everyone else can't perceive color. Interesting. And it's hitting on like everything's perfect, but it's not perfect when everything's perfect. Yeah. Which the matrix hits on. Remember when Neo meets the architect (laughs) and Uh he said, initially we made like a perfect world, but Uh people rejected it. Sure. I think that, yeah, there's been a lot of yeah. 
any anyway, Bioshock Infinite hits on that same totally that same note. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, Donnie Darko. Man, sorry to tangent us. Tangent is fine. Throw we, it us. We, we go off on tangent. That's the whole point. I mean, I, <laughs> initially, Darko. I actually when I first brainstormed the podcast. The first idea was like, okay, let's do a podcast called Gaming Memories where I bring on people who aren't necessarily gamers themselves but are interesting or creative in their own right. It's like right you, this marketing genius. Let's talk about video games maybe try to connect how video games impacted you into mm. why you're a professional marketer at this point. But then I thought you could do the same thing with music. Sure. Interview people about the music that impacted them growing up. You can do the same thing with movies. Okay. Then I thought, like, maybe we'll call the podcast Media Memories. I bought the domain for all four, by the way. So <laughs> anyone wants to steal my <laughs> idea, S- joke's on you. I own the domain, bitches. Uh, but I said, so like, let's just stick with gaming. It'd be too much. Yeah. But I'm okay going off because really what I'm interested in is, like, what media – gaming mm. for me is, a, like, the biggest part of – gaming and music are sort of – Tied sure. movies and TV shows would be second. Yeah, um, but all those things really impacted us. And for me, my drum teacher being this secondary father figure, so cool, is amazing at drums, and him recommending these movies. Right, Donnie Darko's R, uh, Twelve Monkeys is R, and I'm like these things. I, and I would watch them without my parents knowing, but I was rebelling and I was cool. I was watching the cool shit that no one's ever heard about. Yeah, it really gave me a sense of like, okay, because. You have to have a hobby growing up. I identified as a gamer, but being a gamer was not cool. Sure. So getting really good at drums gave me something like – gave me some confidence. Yeah. Right? I'm not that cool kid, but I'm better than all of you guys at drums. Yeah. And if I get in front of a drum set, I'm going to blow your guys' mind totally. because I'm fast and I have good chops. And the fact that he – that sort of father figure was – not introducing games but introducing movies to me and then that sort of – those movies kind of get buried into your identity. It's – I think it's important, and I think if you grew up from the all the way, probably when did TV? When did TV get in households? Was it the sixties? I I'm not going to know. Okay, any before TV, we had not like radio good. shows. People would sit around the radio, yeah. listen to radio shows. Ever since there was like multi, some sort of media in the home, mm-hmm. those media experiences have been shaping people. Yeah. Right. And that's a big part of how our culture develops. And that's what I'm most – like long story short with the podcast. Yes, it's a gaming podcast, but I really want to explore how these things affect – how these media experiences affect people's perceptions as an individual. Then all those individuals make a whole and that's now shaping our culture. And really, like if you ask the question, how has video games shaped our culture? Some people might say, well, they're causing mass shootings. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Probably not. But they are impacting our culture. Like I know for me, video games have impacted everything from the music that I make, uh, what interests me, what concepts interest me, what type of stories interest me. And those things, maybe not directly, but are indirectly – Affecting how I interact with other people, how I raise my kids, how my husband. Probably if I really wanted to think about it, they probably impact the way I go about marketing in like mm. a very indirect way. Yeah. But uh, it's it's uh, it all kind of gets tumbled together in like a primordial soup of just creativity. Yeah. All the inputs you've had in your life growing up, environment, religion, culture, media, movies, gaming, music. Yeah. I mean, I've been on this. Do you listen to Tool at all? A little bit. 
they, they came, just came out with their their new song and the new mm-hmm. album's coming out and all their stuff's on Spotify. So I've been on this tool kick for like three weeks, four weeks, <laughs> nothing but tool for like a solid month, and it's sure. bringing me back to when I was a kid listening to tool. And re- yeah. you know how things can. Re- your memories are there. You can't remember them unless something – like you said with Cool Borders. Mm. I would have never, ever remembered Cool Borders <laughs> unless you brought it up. Yeah. But as soon as you said Cool Borders, like six, seven memories pop up totally. of me playing Cool Borders. Yeah. It's the same way with – I don't know where we're going with this. But anyway, the mm. point is it's okay if we went off on a tangent with Donnie Darko and music because yeah. that's – gaming is the focus but really music – Mm. music and movies all play into the same idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's crazy thinking about this. You know, when we were talking before, you know, you're mentioning, hey, well, it's it's interesting to see how these things shape you, right? As you get older, as you choose a career path or a vocation and then kind of as you continue to progress. And at first I was like, ah, oh, shit, like I, I have no connection. But as you're talking about this, it's interesting because through these games and through this media, we learn how to tell stories and we learn how to yep. kind of because really it comes down to stories. It comes down to those stories, right? And for marketing, that's what we're doing. We're telling stories, right? We're Absolutely. Shaping, we're shaping perception of, hey, this product's good. Hey, this pro- this product sucks. Hey, we're you know reputation management. We're doing we're doing all these. We're shaping perception, right? That's and, exactly what you're doing. And that's I think you know you mentioned how looking at video games and how all of that has shaped our perception. Man, I this has been on my mind lately. Is looking at the current state of just online, p- particularly social media, but pretty much everything online and how that's shaping our societies, right? So I know this is nothing new and I'm, I'm not necessarily the expert at this particularly, but I've noticed a lot lately with, I'll see someone share something on Facebook, right? So like I have, I had a friend that shared something and it was like a picture of George Washington and it was like, it was some bullshit quote. And, and then it was like tag George Washington, right? So it kind of has this sense of, of credibility because it's next to George Washington, it's yeah. next to his name. But then I've noticed Facebook now has these things underneath where it says hoax. And it's like, this actually is bull crap. And it links to a Snopes article that has more sources. I've never seen that. So I've seen this recently and I've seen this on, on uh, YouTube too. Just the other day, I searched. Um, I've heard a lot about like the Trilateral Commission, and I was like, "Man, I don't really know what that is." So I searched on YouTube, thinking, "Oh, someone will give me a quick TLDR in five minutes. So it will be a lot more comprehensive than an article, or it'll be easier to listen to." Um, but I searched it. I couldn't find any recent videos. I couldn't find anything like that was good. That was actually kind of a trying to be a, an unbiased perspective. But then it linked to Encyclopedia Britannica. And so it was just like it was trying to cut through all of like this, this like weird pseudoscience thought that has typically cropped up in search engines on YouTube, on social media, where people just perpetuate this bullshit without fact checking. Right. Anyway, so this, this has been on my mind that like that crafts our perceptions, that crafts the world. Right. If, you know, Joe Blow down the street is on Facebook all day long playing, you know, Facebook games or playing games on their phone. They're always just like looking at Facebook and they're not reading articles or checking sources. They're just digesting this information. Then they're making decisions like voting. Then they're making decisions on how they want to raise their kids. They're getting crafted a story in their mind 
Exactly. And we, we, we live our lives based on the story that we think reality follows. 100%. It's yes. the illusion of the choice back yes. to Bioshock. It's you have a choice, but really there's so many unseen factors. Like if you, if you've dug deep into Cambridge Analytica where they were literally pulling the string, not literally, figuratively pulling the strings yeah. on societies, crafting opinion. Have you read about the IRA, the internet research agency? Mm, not really. No. So that was a, uh, uh, they've done a f- handful of investigations, and there was a journalist. I forget your name. Sorry, but she's yes. She's been on multiple podcasts. Sam yes. Harris with uh, with the Russian bots. Russian bots. Yes. yes, yes, yes. So it's like they. It was a, a marketing agency in America that was really just funded by Russian money, and instead of having traditional clients, uh-huh. all they did was were was make basically and for those that think like Russia supported Trump no these assholes were making pages for extreme left extreme right and everything in between they weren't supporting anyone the only their only motive was to create uh discontent among the among the american population mm. so for example um one of the examples is they they uh, I might get the details wrong but the concept is the same they set up a rally across the street so they basically had a they had this they create these pages that put out a bunch of memes and thought so extreme right extreme left uh-huh. they had a like an anti-muslim get get together scheduled across the street from a pro lgbtq Something along the lines of that. Two opposing a hard right get together. I don't know if the details are right, but they had a hard right get together and a hard left get together organized across the street from each other. Sure. They show up. What happens? Violence breaks out. Surprise, mm-hmm. surprise. And then this whole this this internet agency, this digital marketing agency, which we're both involved in. I have my own company. You do your own shit on marketing. Like it was all just manipulating social thought and not mm. specifically supporting a left candidate or a right candidate sure. but really just trying to drive people farther apart and i my thought with that is okay so we're talking about stories and narratives you, you think about have you heard of joseph campbell absolutely and all his work with the all right and jordan peterson talks about the hero's journey yeah yeah the hero's journey and he's he takes the bible from a psychological perspective anyway the fact, the hero's journey and narratives have been basically the framework in which humans view the world, right? Some sort of narrative. That's the that's the framework in which we perceive reality around us. Is we have to tell a story. We have a story about ourselves. We have a story about who we are and our past. That can be good or bad. When you go online, if if you're like far left and you get sucked into that, then you're going to get told this story that's like an alternate reality. If you're far right, mm. you're going to get told another story that's an alternate reality. And it's almost like two different movies are playing and people are living in the same world, but they're perceiving a completely different reality. One in which Trump is Hitler and one in which Trump is Luke Skywalker. Basically, totally. and then everything in between, right? Those are the two extremes. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the truth is, but what I do know is that people are more divided than ever. And I don't know if it's the Russians are causing it or they're just exacerbating a natural problem, which is um, the algorithms, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, they're tools to optimize for time on site and engagement. Not necessarily quality time on site or quality engagement. They just want you on the site more to interact with more posts, to serve more ads, to make more money. And what ends up 
causing more engagement is outrage and arguments and sensationalism. So I don't know if the world is – obviously Steven Pinker and people along his way saying the world's actually never been better as far as statistics. But if you go online, you think the world's never been worse. Hmm. That might be because we're just being fed more negative information because negative information makes money. Then you have Russian troll farms coming in and just adding fuel to the fire. I don't know what what is weighted more in the algorithm, but we're talking about stories and games. We have a bunch of people living – 300 million people living in America. And if, and I think if you took a sample size, so let's say 3,000, right? Make it even numbers. You could probably say fifteen hundred of them would be on one side, and they would they would diametrically disagree on what's actually happening. We have more access to information than ever, but we have less of a consensus on what is real and what is actually happening. And ga- games are like games haven't gone too political. Um, I mean, Bioshock obviously has like some undertones, sure. But I think the way this connects to games is is like. People get sucked into a story. Mm-hmm. Like the way that I – like Sukoden 2 to me is the greatest JRPG of all time. The reason why is I think that the way that it, it postulates political intrigue and and uh, suffering and human suffering and the way society works actually applies to ways – and I'm viewing my life – an actual society through some rinky-dink story of a PS1 game, right? <laughs> if that PS1 game is affecting how I view reality, and that's not even a big part of my life, how how are these Russian troll farm pages? It's, it's a cra- – I don't even know how to make sense. Honestly, I don't know how to make sense of what's real. Yeah. I don't. How does anyone – like like Trump is such a – is such a – is such a – What's the word? Divisive person. Hmm. I have friends that are pro-Trump. I have friends that think Trump is literally Hitler and everything in between. I listen to both their arguments. The only thing that I know is before he was president, he seemed like a shady sells cars, like used car salesman <laughs> that got rich. But other than that, like, do I? Is he doing a good job running the country? I have no fucking idea, and I've actually spent time trying to figure out. Yeah, and I have no idea. So what story, like? What story is real? We have 300 Americans, 300 million Americans that are believing some sort of narrative. Yeah. But what – look, I don't know what's real. No, man. Sorry to go off on the political no, tangent. I, you're, you're exactly right. And that's – I mean that's that illusion of choice, right? It's, it's that illusion of choice because you get to choose what reality you live in. You yeah. Know? And what re- reality you choose, you know, red pill or blue pill, and you take it, then – that's your reality. That's your lens for life, right? That's going to govern everything else that you do moving forward. And I think that is stapled within the media, the media that we've consumed, you know? It is kind of – it does freak me out being into digital marketing and basically – I mean my job essentially is to attract traffic and get that traffic to take some sort of action, buy a product – uh, usually import their their information to a form fill or a call as a lead and then sell that lead to someone that can take action and sell some sort of product and service. And the amount of manipulation that I engage in as a day job, hopefully like I'm trying to connect people who – like I have a lot of lawyers, a lot of plastic surgeons, a lot of orthodontists. I, I feel good about it because – I'm connecting people who, hey, I want plastic surgery or I want braces and I'm just manipulating them to pick 
my client versus some other client. That doesn't seem too more like as long as I believe that my client my client actually provides a legitimate service, I know have I, I have no qualms about it. But I'm easily manipulating people online. Totally. That kind of freaks me out, like, okay, how much am I being manipulated online? Totally. I do manipulation and the fa- I'm engaged in or or a, a less negative term would be influence. Manipulation has a negative connotation. Sure. Influence. I'm constantly influencing people online to steer them a certain give them the illusion of choice, but I'm really corralling them to take the choice that I want cuz that choice is going to make me money. Totally. And even though I know that, I don't have the ability to differentiate when I'm being influenced. And even when I do realize I'm being influenced, like I see what's going on here, I still can't stop them from influencing me. Mm. Like remarketing ads online. Like I'll think about something like I kind of want this product. Then it'll show up on Instagram. I'll show up and I keep showing up. And I'm like, I know what you're doing, <laughs> but I still want to buy that product. Yeah. I can't stop you from making me want to buy that product. Yeah. It works. It works. It works. It works. <laughs> it's <sighs> Yeah, it's a, it's a bonkers world. And and I mean, if it works at a low level, and what I mean by low level is, you know, hey, anybody can create a Facebook page, anybody can create an, a Facebook ads account and yeah. start running ads, right? Um, whether that's ads for a product or ads for pushing a specific agenda. If anybody can start doing that, that's great. And it's simple. Imagine the people that have the unlimited funds that can go deeper, like different corporations. things, And that's really what we saw with Cambridge Analytica. They had a lot of the funds. They did manipulate governments. They could do things like that. And if that's happening at that grand of a scale, I mean, you can, you can only imagine. You're, I mean, you're influenced everywhere, everywhere with everything. And it's not even just online. It's in stores. It's everywhere, We're bombarded. Right? We're it's constantly bombarded. Perpetual illusion of choice in which we are beings that are very predictable. How much do you buy into Project Verit- Veritas or Veritas? The sort of anti-Google. I've only came across a handful. You actually linked me one in a text. But there was a video that came out earlier of a, a female who's a Google exec over the AI yeah. saying that they're planning on sort of manipulating search results to influence the 2020 election. Yeah. That's as much as I know about. There's that and a couple other links that people have shared with me. I haven't. Is that legit? It's hard. I mean, it's hard to say. I uh, so I don't know the credibility of that. I've seen the data dumps. I downloaded the data dumps. I checked through it. I checked through it largely from a marketing perspective, like a Google marketing perspective. Trying to figure out what's going on with the algorithm. And I've yeah. got some. I've got some theories, um, which I don't know if they would fit the, the kind of the scope of this this podcast. But I've got a lot of theories on that aspect in terms of the credibility of the dumps. I'm not sure, but it. it one thing we do know is he had her on camera. You know, at that restaurant and yes. her saying things. So that's that's pretty damning. It is pretty damning. <laughs> that aspect's pretty damning. Of oh well, you know, we don't want uh, we don't want to be broken up because little companies don't have the resources to make sure that someone like Trump doesn't ever get in power again. That's a pretty damning statement. Yeah. So, hey, did you ever read Ender's Game? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I remember talking about so that game that that not game. The book Ender's Game came out 88, I think, 89, maybe 90s. Yeah. Um, There's two. So Ender's little brother or older brother and little sister, Valentina and what's his brother's name? Peter, I I think. 
So he somehow, Orson Scott Card, props to him, whether you like him or not, props to him. <laughs> he came up with the idea of the internet before the internet, right? Mm-hmm. He had this idea of the net mm-hmm. and what the, his, what the, these genius, right? This family had three geniuses, Ender, who was the, the third child. Actually, he's the youngest. So his older sister and his older brother, they live in this uh, – Future world where the overpopulation, they don't let, allow anyone to have children, more than two children, unless you get some sort of permission. And anyone that has a third child is called a third and they're kind of persecuted against. But the reason they let this couple have a third child because they produce geniuses. Their children are really smart. And Ender is the third child and he gets sent off to battle school because they're, they're at an intergalactic war. But his two, his two siblings stay home. And sort of a secondary story is they use what they call the net at the time, which is interesting that he came up with that. And they manipulate political discourse. They create two. They take. They create two fake political uh, personas: Locke and uh, I forget the other. The brother is Locke, and the sister is something else. And they are extreme right and left, and they're actually co- coordinating together, creating division. And these two like teenagers basically take over political they, they take over the political world of influence on the internet by creating fake personas that are extreme right and left and end up swaying elections and actual what ends up happening in this is world. That was in the eighties. That's what's <laughs> happening right now. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. I don't I don't remember that part. You don't remember that's, that? Not that part. I've no. been thinking about that a lot lately. That's crazy. I'm gonna have to reread it. You need to reread it. Jeez. I read it, yeah, I read it in sixth grade. It's forever ago. But man, that's that's bonkers accurate. <laughs> it is bonkers accurate. I, I think he calls it the net. And I, I know for sure that I forget if the sisters lock or the brothers lock. One of one of like the online personas. Yeah. They pretend to be someone that they're not. Yeah. And then they start commenting on political stuff. Man. And they're actually opposed to each other. But they're working together to sort of sway and move the population and, and rile them up and get them divisive. And then they get them divided and they, they – then, OK, we're at this big di- division. Now we're going to actually work on some sort of bipartisan – and they basically manipulate the government with online tools before the internet was really around. He sort of brainstormed – this idea, like he saw where technology was going, and uh, and I think that that's interesting. That that's like it's almost Twilight Zone. Here's his fictional story and narrative, and now it's playing out in real life. Like, is this real life? Yeah. Or have you actually heard of that? I know we're going. Sorry if you're into video games. We're going way <laughs> off in the deeds. Wee weeds. There's a kid online that whose theory is that in 2008, when CERN, I just heard this on Rogan recently, and I looked into it and watched the video. I was like, oh my gosh, it's another rabbit hole. I can't get it. It's probably not true, but it's super fun to go into. That CERN blew up the world, and now we're in an alternate universe. That's why everything's so wacky. Mm. I I, had, I heard that. I heard that. Because isn't that where, what does he say? That's where like the... What's it called when you remember things incorrectly, like Bernstein Bears versus Bernstein Bears? Yes, what's that, that phenomena? Thing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that I was with the first one that came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also Shazam. Okay. With uh, Shaq or Shaq? Sinbad. Yeah. And I Kazam. 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 Yeah. Right. So there was a thing that was like there was a movie that was called Shazam with Sinbad. Yeah. And yeah, I was yeah. like, yes, I saw that movie for sure when I was a kid. 
Then I look it up, and apparently that movie's not real. One of the two. It's either Kazam with Shaq or Shazam with Sinbad. It would have been Shazam because the sh- – oh, man. <laughs> the Shaq one's real. I thought the Sinbad one was real. Wasn't the, wasn't the Sinbad one called Sinbad? There was – no. There's no <laughs> – either it's Shaq or Shazam, but there's one of them. There's no genie movie with – I think it's I think it's Sinbad. Yeah. There is no movie with Sinbad. But really? I remember a genie movie with Sinbad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I swear. And so I... when I went into this online, I was like, am I in a bizarre world cuz I re- it's like group memory or there's some term for like Yeah. And the yeah. Bernstein Berns, Bernstein Bears was another one that came up. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That crap blow like it throws my head through a Loop. And that actually makes me back to bring this back to game. Do you ever play Metal Gear Solid Two: Sons didn't. of Liberty? No, Ugh. I haven't played any. You haven't played any okay, of the Metal so Gear. I played Metal Gear Solid on a demo disc. <laughs> <laughs> that, dude, that was on the Pizza Hut. That was one. on the Pizza Hut. That was on the Pizza Hut oh, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was Metal Gear Solid. It was Props like the Pizza Hut. <laughs> Good marketing, man. <laughs> Good marketing. No, but I've never played an actual full one, full episode. So. Crazy. In Metal Gear Solid 2, there's a uh, man, there's too much context, but basically they play around with the idea of manipulation, media manipulation, what's real, what's actually good for the population. Like how much freedom should we really have? And mm. if we want if your goal is a peaceful society with less suffering, human suffering in total, whether that's famine, disease, violence, Maybe we should have less freedom. Maybe we should be controlled by AIs. Hmm. And uh, they kind of get into this whole thing. And there's a section in Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty where the game starts to break down and it gets into this weird fourth wall where you think the game is glitching out, but it's not actually glitching out. It's part of the game. Uh, Hmm. If you haven't played it, you should just either watch some video on it and watch some commentary on it. But Hideo Kojima, who's coming out with a new game called Death Stranding, which is actually coming out pretty soon. Have you watched anything about Death Stranding? Yeah, with Stranding? Uh, Norman Reedus. With Norman Reedus? Yeah, and then the uh, that other guy. Guillermo del Toro? Yes, whatever yes. His Sorry, <laughs> Guillermo, if I'm saying your name wrong. He did, Plan- he did Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did Pan's Labyrinth, yeah. Yeah. Dude, that movie, by the way, have you seen Pan's Labyrinth? I didn't understand it. But yes, I have seen it. I watched it when I was in high school. Yeah, it was a little hard to understand, but I remember the creature with the eyeballs in its in hands. His hands, yeah, the freaked me the <laughs> fuck out. Oh yeah. boy, I remember yeah. that? I remember the the scene where the guard basically punches the guy in the face with the pistol. Oh yeah. Anyway, weird stuff. But yes, I remember that. So let's let's dive back into a couple more things before we wrap up. Any more PS One games that stick out, and then I want to talk about sort of more recent games that have been tickling your fancy. P- what about PS Two? Let's go to PS Two. PS Two, there's a lot, <clears throat> a lot, a lot. Final Fantasy Ten was a big one. <gasps> so you had played seven and eight, but you hadn't played nine. Yep, exactly. And then you went to ten. Graduated. What did to you 10. think about ten? I loved ten. What I loved about ten was. One, I, I like the story. I like the story with Sin. Yes. And with all that, it was really, really great. Um, it was like the first RPG that I had ever played in which voice actors were a thing. Yes. And so that was a big deal. I really liked the... Um, I really liked the battle system. I liked the battle system, and I liked that when you would summon a GF, then you would control it. 
Yes. You became that was you the became first time. Ifrit yes, or yep. you know or whatever. They actually had different commands and different moves and special moves. They as had the their GF. own health bar, own yeah. yeah, exactly. That's true because you would actually you could keep the GF until its health ran out. Whereas previous Final Fantasies, the GF would just come, do its spell, disappear. Yep. It was done. Exactly. So that was that was mind blowing. I um, loved the I loved the concept of sin and the cycle. Yeah. Of it coming back, and then they're sending the sending the sorceress. She goes out, sacrifices herself, mm. it appeases sin for a thousand years. Then it comes back. That again gave me that sort of. Um, I was old enough to understand that, like, we don't really know a lot about ancient history. Like, we're mm. just sort of picking clues from little things we find. We don't really know sure. past like two, three thousand years. We don't know. We don't know shit for shat, right? <laughs> and so that idea of like, well, maybe there's some like ancient civilizations or the cycle going on, that really stuck out to me. The the, the sorceress sacrificing herself, and that sin was actually the main character's dad from the future that had been taken. And it's like you get this weird again time travel, yep. time loop. And when you beat the game, spoiler alert, you find out that you you, you were never real. Yeah. And you were like, once you beat the game, you never existed. And so you sort of fade out of existence, the main character. But what I – yes, it had voice acting, but the voice acting was atrocious. It was, sure. It was. There's that famous scene of Titus laughing that everyone makes fun of. Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, so bad. And he wore overalls. What kind yeah. of grown ass man wears overalls? And like a friggin' blonde pixie cut. <laughs> the pixie cut and overalls and a yellow shirt. Yeah. Ah. Every, everybody always played it, not for him. They played him for Oran or Oran for Lulu. Most, Lulu, the, the, like hot the black chick mage. With belts, <laughs> yeah. big boobs. Yeah. Nothing but belts. I wasn't into like the 500 belts. I wasn't emo. <laughs> like so I, many belts. <laughs> I did get into emo a little bit. I liked the use. There was definitely some emo bands that I was into. But the the, the belt look, I just never bought not, into you, the belt you look. You weren't the belt. Not, yeah. not 1,100 belts. Not 1,100 belts. <laughs> the only thing that saved her is that she was stacked. Again, hey, it might be sexist, but there's a reason they put curvy women's in video games. Sure. Because it sells copies to horny sure. men. I'm sorry. It's capitalism. Sex sells. It's just sex sells. It does. But again, like it didn't – the only character I thought was cool in that game was Oran. Mm-hmm. And I think his name's Kimari, like the cat spear Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. The spear guy. Those are the only two that I thought were cool. Sure. But the graphics were amazing. Voice acting was new. The CGI, again, another leap, giant leap. And I mean we talked about this in the past podcast. Really before like Toy Story and Pixar came about, which is more like a kitty style, the best CGI – was JRPGs. Mm. The best cutscenes you could see a pure CGI. Mm-hmm. The cutting edge was always really the new Final Fantasy game for the mm. most part as far as Western audiences. Now, like, because do you remember Final Fantasy The Spirits Within mm-hmm. released in theaters? Then before totally. Final Fantasy 15 came out, Kingsglaive. Have you mm. ever seen Final Fantasy 15 Kingsglaive? No. To this day, the best motion picture CGI you've ever, it's pure CGI. No, okay. like mixing of real life actors. I don't know why they do that these days. Sometimes know, it's it looks too weird. It looks too weird. It's that whole yeah. What what sh- you said? King's Glaive. King's Glaive. King's Glaive. Is it 
this Final Fantasy VII one. That, no, that's Advent Children. That's Advent that Children. was different. Yeah. Also has great CGI, even by great. today's standards. Yeah, that was good. Uh, Kingsclave. So the newest Final Fantasy that came out was, I believe, fifteen. The one with the Noctis. He's the dark hair. Hmm, he goes on a road trip with his buddies. It's like open world Final Fantasy. Okay. It was originally Final Fantasy versus thirteen, and then it got to, it took thirteen years for that game to come out. Um, they before that game came out, they released a feature film just online, and I think maybe in theaters in Japan, like a prequel to the game called Final Fantasy Kingsglaive, fifteen Kingsglaive. Mm. It's all CGI. The story. It's just like a big hour and a half action scene. But the CGI is at like the best CGI to date that I've ever seen. Hmm. Like there are moments where it's it passes the uncanny uncanny valley. And, like this is almost like I could buy this as real. Sure, it's just it's ah, it's right there. Mm. It's right there on the verge. And uh, for a long time, like I remember when Final Fantasy X came out, the cutscenes had jumped again. I'm, I just I had never seen cutscenes like that. And totally. a lot of the allure of Final Fantasy games and a lot of JRPGs. Do you ever play Legend of Dragoon on PS1? I played it a little bit. I never beat it. Again, great cutscenes. And a lot of the motivation for those early JRPGs was, I want to get to the next cutscene. Yeah. I want to get to the next story scene and see this awesome CGI. Because you, you didn't get – there was no TV shows with great CGI. There wasn't really any all CGI movies. There was movies like The Abyss yeah. or Donnie Darko that had some CGI mixed in. Yeah. But really for a long time, it was the JRPGs. That was your... Mm, and Final Fantasy X was just another quantum leap Totally. Totally. It was... Man, it was great. It was great. And then they tried to continue the story with... Ten two Selling the, the sex of it all with Ten two. That was blatant. <laughs> it's it's terrible. You're going to have all female casts that can dress in a 10,000 scantily clad different outfits. <laughs> yeah. I, they had the dress system where like the dress coincided with your class. Okay. And you could switch dresses mid-battle. So like black mage version, I had this like black sexy dress. Then I want to switch to red mage. I changed yeah. my dress and now I have a different dress and I have different spells. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty blatant. I, I just remember the battle system was – it just was so different from Ten, and I didn't like you it. You didn't like it. Yeah. I didn't like it. It was more the – it was like a, the hybrid style like battle system where it was like a little action. It wasn't like – because the – Ten was a turn-based system, right? Where you yes. have all the tiles on the side yes. and you and would you be able to see. you could see the next see. turn who right. was coming. Yeah, yeah. And you could, you could totally manipulate that. Um, so, yeah, Ten was a great game. It was phenomenal. Ten was great. What else did you play on PS2? What else did I play? Um, man, I'm blanking on PS2 games. Let's see. We played a lot of Splinter Cell. <laughs> Splinter yeah. Cell was a good one. I didn't get super deep in Splinter Cell a little bit. Oh, you want to know a good one? Um, probably one of the better games, like sandbox games ever. Um, Spider-Man 2. Wow. You're the first one to bring that up. Yeah. Have you played that one? I Briefly. Yeah, that one Briefly. was great. The mechanics in that game were insane. That was kind of the first time that they had done web slinging. Yeah, good. Where yeah, yeah, where it was like connected to buildings or light. Wasn't posts. just shooting into the air. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the first Spider Man, I remember playing the first Spider Man on PS One, and it was just shooting into the air. You just, yeah, it was just go right. But Spider Man Two was like one of the first big sandbox games that I played that actually felt like the mechanics were insanely well made. Um, yeah, so I played a lot of that game. Um, oh, 
God, I have to jump back to PS1 because yes. this was such a formative game. Parappa the Rapper. <gasps> you played a lot of that? I killed yes, Parappa the Rapper. Yes, that good. So good. That, I, uh, that was one of those games that started out on me as a demo disc. Okay. And then I ended up renting it multiple times. Yes. Never bought it, but I rented it at least three times, maybe yes. more. Man, I still remember the raps. To this day, <laughs> I still remember the raps. It's such a good game. That is a good game. That is kind of a weird gem. I don't know if you could come out with that game right Dude, now. It was the first Dance Dance Revolution because you're playing true. with your fingers. Right? Is there you, a rhythm game before Parappa the Rapper? I don't think so because they did that. Then they tried to continue it on with um, what, Unjammer Lammy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that one sucked and it wasn't as good. And it like, But Parappa the Rapper, man, he was the under underdog, literally a dog that you were rooting yeah. for. He's getting bullied and everything. Man, that first scene, he was getting bullied. And so he wants to become, he wants to become more like studly. And so he goes to take karate. Oh, <laughs> such yes. Such a good game. And the first rap was the karate guy. <laughs> such yeah, a good yeah. game. Oh, man. And it had that, like, Paper Mario style where yep. the characters were 2D, yep. flat, but they were over a 3D background. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about Parappa the Rappa. Yeah, yeah Parappa I can't think great. of a rhythm game before that. I'm sure there was – there was a game on PS1 that wasn't totally rhythm, but it was uh, – forget the name. Another demo disc game that I ended up renting where it would measure your IQ hmm. based on you were a little character that had to walk forward and there was cubes – Walking mm. towards you was a puzzle game. Do you ever does that ring a bell? Dang man, a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't. I'm, I've never met any someone else that remembers that game. But it was sort of a rhythm game because the basically you were on like a straight plane where there were blocks, a, a, a set of grids, and they would roll towards you in rhythm. And okay. you had to like smash, kind of like Tetris with yeah. rhythm mixed together. Um, that might have predated Parappa the Rapper. That was a the PS one game. Before PS1, was there any sort of rhythm game on Super Nintendo? Or, I can't think of one. That might have been the first rhythm game. Could be. It's a good game, though. That was a good game. It was well made. Um, yeah. Good one. Good one, good one. I know that's jumping back to PS1. Um, did, you ever, it's random. did you ever play Toomba? Tuba? Toomba? T-O-M-B-A? Okay, that's bringing two things to my mind. Is that That's not the uh, ape guy, right? He's like a little character. I think he had like pink hair. I think he was shirtless. He's like a wild kid, and you're like going through. Oh. It. It's like a two like D game. That is bringing back some memories. It is a, a PS one game, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really it's a rare game. It's actually worth a lot of money. Like if you go to any of the forums nowadays to see like what games are being flipped for the most, Toomba's always like into the hundreds. It's a rare game. Toomba. Toomba. It's like a platformer, two D side scroller. Yep. Yep. Totally. Bizarre game. Bizarre game. Super fun, though. I remember... Oh, I, I'm thinking of Toki. Yeah, I don't know. Toki was a 2D game on Genesis and maybe Super Nintendo where you're you're an ape that can shoot bullets out of his mouth. <laughs> uh, really weird game as well. Weird. But Toomba, I do... I am conjuring up the cover art in my mind. He's got pink mm. hair. Yep. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw that game but never played it. Got it. Do you ever play any the Twisted Metals? A little bit. A little bit with friends. I never had Twisted Metals, but I loved playing them with friends. It's a great game. I can't believe you never played any of the Metal Gears. No, man. And that's no. like a massive franchise. Yeah. Well, I, I've kind of been an outlier with a lot of really key games. So Metal Gears, I haven't really played, and I haven't really played Zelda. 
that's another crazy one that most people have gotten into Zelda. Yeah. Well, 60, oh, you never owned a 64, right? right. Yeah, yeah. Because yep. Ocarina of Time for people, for guys and girls our age generally is one of the most formative games. Totally. But uh, that's interesting. So you never got into that. No, I did get into Metroid. And I've I've found that people get into either Zelda or Metroid when if they're like start with SNES. And I was more the Metroid side. Mm. So Super Metroid was huge for me. Um, but never Zelda. Never Zelda. Did you play the Metroids on GameCube? I did. The, the Prime Trilogy? I did. Those are pretty good. I only played the first one. I played him later on emulator. Speaking of the the dolphin emulator, yeah. so solid. Is it? So solid. Nice. It's good. You can uh you can play and they also have Simu, which is the Wii U emulator. Hmm. And you can play Breath of the Wild 4K 60 FPS now on Simu. Holy cow. So if you haven't played Breath of the Wild, now's the time I'll to get to into it. it. Have to check it out for sure. Well, let's wrap it up. You got a what do you so you playing some phone games lately? You playing some emulators? Not really phone game. I mean, honestly, that was a shit answer. Um, really, it's just to keep the kids entertained, yeah. stuff like that. It's not actually gaming. Gaming. When I'm gaming, gaming, I usually I re- I'll revisit Bioshock every once in a while. That's typically, or I'll phone game in terms of Chrono Trigger. I've also got like the Final Fantasy VII on my phone, so that's about it. Do you? Uh, is there any way that you you can? articulate gaming impacting your professional life directly if you had to think about it probably because i the way that i think about it my answer would be so what ends up happening when you play a game you're giving like they create a world and there's rules and there's systems and there's mechanics for that game for example we talked about fable all right you had this open world i want to figure out like, how is the game – Is are the NPCs going to remember if I murder their whole family and then marry mm. her? She's going to remember if I reset the game. You're sort of manipulating the rules that govern the game universe. Yeah. That's how I feel marketing. Like, totally. that skill set, sometimes I think it makes sense that I ended up getting into marketing because I grew up manipulating, like, little ecosystems Yeah. For for my profit in the game. Yeah, and now I'm manipulating an algorithm and ecosystem. Whether that's a, an advertising e- ecosystem on Google, uh, obviously SEO is a big part of what what we do and what I came up doing, which is totally manipulating the algorithm that decides what to rank. And so I think that sk- it's not direct, but that skill set of like poking around and figuring out what works, where where are the boundaries, where are the where are the shortcuts that are the best, where are the shortcuts that are going to hurt you. Yeah. I think that I learned some of that skill from gaming. Some of that like totally logistical process of like exploring, figuring out what are the rules and how can I use the rules to my advantage. Totally. I I would say something very similar. I would like I wish it was something more complex like Oh yeah, like I wanted to be able to create stories to craft perception. It's some shit no, like that. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Probably what it, I think really what it was is I think it was I think it's the gamification aspect, yeah. right? Where I think it's exactly it's probably exactly like what you said, right? Where you play a game, and when you're playing a game, you're like you said trying to t- trying to push boundaries or trying to just 
win ultimately, right? Win for whatever gain that is, right? So like for in, in Final Fantasy, for instance, I remember Final Fantasy X spending so much extra time before going to Battle Sin to, in order to acquire every single one of the most powerful weapons. Yes. And they all had their crazy side quests. Mm-hmm. And so doing all of those things were fulfilling because you're seeing how far you can and push it, but you're seeing also just how just super powered you can make your characters right so it's just that that systematic here's a problem how can i fix it right and i think that then poured it over easily to to marketing um and businesses in general because it's always a new challenge how can i how can i blow down this barrier and you know how can i progress to the next stage it's more it's fun it's a gamification right instead of a career trajectory that is more along the lines of, okay, I'm going to get into this career because it pays well. And I'm just going to do the same thing over and over. No, no, no. That's, that was hell in my mind. Still is hell in my mind, but something that it's like, okay, the challenges are always different. Things are always going to be changing. And how can I turn this into a game? How can I make it fun? Right? What's the next step? What's the safe havens, you know, the checkpoints. And then how can you progress? As if, through gaming, this the, you learn to associate gamification, which is really a rudimentary way of of what's the word? It's it's like a it's a blunt way to illustrate life because life life is a little bit of a game, but sure. the boundaries are sort of infinite. We don't really know what reality is, right? Hmm. But you associate positive emotions with problem solving and gamification, yeah. Which makes it maybe you know marketing's not such a grind. It's sim- mm-hmm. You're sitting in front of a screen, and you're trying to figure out how to how to play within the rule set and win, which is mm. the same thing that comes with games. And maybe that's why I've thought about something. Maybe that's why I can sit in front of a computer and try to do all this marketing stuff and not go crazy. Because I was trained to sit in front of a TV screen, figuring out rule sets. Yet the stories, the stories, the narrative's not really in place. But you're having, if you're trying to do something online, you're having, like I said, create a narrative. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to drive this traffic based on this targeting and this keywords. What is their? What are they looking for? What is their intent? Mm-hmm. I've got to drive them to this page. Now I got to tell them a story. That's only half the battle. Now I got to get them to like influence and then take some sort of action buy the product input the email fill out the form call the number mm-hmm. get yeah it's i think that's i think if you play games and you're looking for a job maybe you should get into marketing <laughs> it definitely worked for me because i tried a bunch of things i didn't know what i was gonna do with my life i tried being a rock star I tried being a drummer drummer try to record label and marketing is what ended up working out for me. And it's obviously what's worked out for you too. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it even can be so rudimentary as like when you're playing Mario Brothers, you know, you're playing Mario 3, right? And in order to beat the level, you need to get the, the leaf, right? Yep. And then you get the leaf and you can you run fast and you can fly, right? Well, the leaf's just a tool to help you beat it. There's ways you can beat it without getting the leaf, right? You don't have to get the leaf, right? Yes. But it'll give you the edge so that you can find different secrets and that's how real life get works. more coins exactly and so you're yeah. always looking for oh hey what's the what's the other lever i can pull right that's going to give me an edge over the competitors it's going to pull more people onto my site or my my client sites and so it's just that gamification right it's making it making it fun right problem solving yep well so there you go parents video games don't ruin lives they prepare you they prepare <laughs> you to be professional marketers or 
I don't know, successful people. I I wonder that about my kids. How am I going to – I mean, I don't know if they're going to be in the games or not. Mm. I obviously want them to be in the games so we can connect over that. But am I going to worry about – like, I do worry about how much TV my kids watch. Sure. This is something I want to ask. If my kids sat in front of a TV show for four hours versus playing a game for four hours, I would be more worried about the TV show. Mm. Would you feel the same way? I don't know if that's just me being biased because I like games. Probably. I mean, I think that that, that decision-making component is there, and I think that that's crucial. I think that helps you you know, hone your brain. But I also think like the reflexes and everything, too. I don't know. Growing up, did you have really good reflexes? I had phenomenal reflexes from playing video games. I think so. I mean, most kids grew up – I don't know. Like, I've, I think I'm not, like, I'm not incredibly athletically gifted. When it comes to maybe going like tricks inverted, I would go snowboarding with friends that were ninjas, right? They would hit they would hit the rail and do this trick. Mm. They would try three or four times and land it. I would try 60 times and land it and get hurt 10 times in the process. <laughs> but on the flip side, when it comes to the grappling and jiu-jitsu, I picked it up really, really quick. And I've, I've wondered that. Is that come from gaming? Like maybe the sort of that hand-eye coordination and – tactical because a lot of grappling like i think of final fantasy tactics mm. right i have certain characters they have certain abilities there's really only so many things you can do they have their counterattacks. i have my attacks that's a little bit like grappling i'm in this position there's only you know there's only five five to ten things they can do there's only five to ten things i can do if they do this then i respond with that sometimes i do connect some of that I don't know how much of it's hand-eye coordination. I don't know. That's a good question. Do I have more coordination from gaming? I'm sure it doesn't hurt your coordination at sure. the very least. There's no way it could hurt your coordination. Totally. Because you're looking at a screen, you're, co- you're coordinating movements with your hands. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's uh, – obviously, it's probably not good to sit in front of a TV screen all day. Yeah. But if I had to choose between my kid – Again, because a game is going to give them the same narrative sort of influences that a TV show with the added part of problem solving. Right. Whereas on a TV show, you're sort of just checking out and just being taken for a ride, which could be good in its own right, de-stressing, escaping. But yeah, you're you're not developing any problem solving skills. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well... If you guys want any sort of marketing done, Josh Moody's the man. I will put a – I don't know. if Do you have like a, a page or a website for your services that we can yeah. shout out? Yeah. You can uh, – if you just go to joshuamoody.com, it will redirect to my LinkedIn page. You can connect with me there. That's probably the easiest way. Easy way to do it. Totally. I'll put those links in the podcast. Uh, we'll, we'll do an intro and outro for him. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming down, man. He's, uh, he's here for a fancy business business getaway because he does fancy business stuff and he's the shit at marketing. <laughs> so if you need marketing, whether it's you, you need services, you, or you just want a consultation or want to pick someone's brain, joshmoody.com, anything online marketing, he's a great resource. Hit him up. If he can't do anything for you, he can redirect you to someone that can help you. Thank you. All right, man. Talk to you guys later. Peace.
All righty then, you have finished the podcast. This was actually one of my favorite ones. Um, I really, really enjoyed this podcast. Time flew by when we were talking. So shout out to Joshua motherfucking Moody for coming onto the podcast. He's a badass. Check him out. Next week, we have another badass. Look, all I do is interview badasses because that's what the gaming gods told me to do. It's revelation. It's going to work out. It's going to be the best gaming podcast on motherfucking planet Earth. Igama. Igama is a badass producer, another music producer. He's basically traveled all over the world, makes really chill, ambient, headphone, like headphone-esque music. When I mean headphone music, I mean like really detailed, intricate, chill shit, uh, artistic shit. And he comes onto the podcast next week. He even brought in the new, the new Prophet 6, like the remade Improved Prophet 6 synth. If you don't know what the Prophet 6 is, it's like a... Just super legendary synth, and they released kind of like a remaster HD updated version of it. And he snagged one, and we played with it. And my God, the knobs feel amazing. This the filters it has like this distortion filter on it that is some of the coolest distortion. I which is basically every patch that we made. The first thing I did is I'm gonna fuck with that distortion knob because I love that distortion. Anyway, he has great musical taste, makes great beats, and no surprise here, another music producer that's into music. He will be on next week. Until then, make sure to spread the good news of the gaming memories gospel. I was joking in the intro of this gospel uh, of this episode, excuse me, but I actually am gonna make a Patreon Patreon. And if you really do want to pay me 10% of your income before tax uh gotta add that in before tax i'll be super happy i don't know how it's actually gonna work but maybe i will uh have like behind the scenes extras uncut versions of shit things that can add to the patreon just basically because look podcasts are dope but uh it's gotta make some money because i got kids i got kids and shit i gotta make money actually i really don't need to make money but if i could then uh and if you like my bullshit enough then I, why would I not give you an avenue to waste your money and give it to me? So I'm going to do that. Until then, spread the good news of the gaming memories gospel. Do your missionary work. Tell people about it. Like, share, comment, whatever. Next week, Igama, music producer extraordinaire. Peace.